Hey folks, Andy the Taxman here. Now over the last 11 months, I've gotten tremendous and positive feedback, emails, ratings, and reviews from many listeners of the show, and I wanted to share a couple of those with you today. Uh, I was left a five-star review from Wrestling With The Truth on Good Pods, and they said, five stars, the Taxman is quickly becoming one of Canada's best wrestling historians, thanks to the work that he puts in into every episode. While I'll never put myself over as one of Canada's best wrestling historians, I hope to get there one day, and I appreciate the kind words from Wrestling With The Truth. I had a very nice note left on Twitter uh, from at Jimmy Adig. He says, good stuff, at six underscore podcast, the Twitter handle for the show. Loving Grappling With Canada. The episode of Gamasing was amazing. Canada does not get enough credit in wrestling. I like the series, bro. You're giving good historical facts. I appreciate that, Jimmy. And I try very, very hard to uh, include as many truthful and factual accounts as uh, as I possibly can in every episode. So I appreciate the sentiment. I was left another five-star review on Podchaser. This one from BC Hunter. He says, Andy is one of the best wrestling historians that Canada has to offer. All episodes are must-listen for any Canadian wrestling fan or wrestling fan in general. And I appreciate that because, as everybody knows, this show is not just about Canadian wrestling, but also about wrestling history and what Canada does mean to the rest of the world uh, in the grand scheme of things. Which brings me to my last one that I want to read to you all right now. So this one came from Fireside Canada, a tremendous podcast as well. I hope everybody goes and checks that out. Uh, this was left on Podchaser as well. He said, five stars. My knowledge of wrestling doesn't go much further than childhood favorites like Jake the Snake and Junkyard Dog. And in brackets he says, and now you can guess my age. Nevertheless, I'm captivated by people talking about their passions. And as I listened, I found myself sharing the excitement about an athlete I had never heard of. Next thing I know, I'm watching a 50-year-old TV broadcast of Gene Kaneski battling Japan's giant Baba, observing the otherwise reserved crowd throwing garbage into the ring, and marveling at Kaneski's talent for being a quote-unquote heel. Enthusiastic, educational, and slightly nostalgic. Give it a listen. And that's really what I'm going for here. A show that appeals to everybody, whether you're a history fan, whether you like Canada, whether you like professional wrestling, whether you just like human interest stories. And that's what I try and bring to you guys every month. I'm incredibly proud of producing a program that features a lot of history, a lot of personal experiences, and a lot of personal stories that appeal to a wide range of people, regardless of just wrestling fans, if you will. And quite frankly, you're going to hear stories on this show that you're never going to hear anywhere else. And isn't that really why we're all here? To learn something? I'm asking for everybody's help right now to keep all of this going. This program takes an exorbitant amount of time physically to produce every month. A uh, little behind-the-scenes look. Uh, each episode takes me roughly between 30 and 50 total hours to produce, research, coordinate guests, etc., etc. There's also a financial responsibility that I have towards this show. So, this is the perfect time now to help me out and to help produce further episodes and further seasons of Grappling with Canada. If you look at the link tree link in your show notes, you'll find various ways that you can donate to the podcast. You can choose $5 options and increments on buymeacoffee.com slash grappling. You'll also find a link to my PayPal account uh, where I would 
ask if you are able to to donate to the program. And also, if you're listening to this on GoodPods, there is the tip jar function where you can also donate to the program. All of that will continue to help this program grow, to help me out with the research towards the program, and to help provide more in-depth discussion and in-depth historical research on this program that we all love. And for me to continue to provide what I think is a great look into the personal lives of some of the most influential people, not just in Canadian wrestling, not just in wrestling in general, but in Canadian history as well. So once again, I'm asking for your support. Uh, Click the link in your show notes for various ways to uh, contribute to the show. And as such, uh, if you do contribute to the show, I'll make sure that I give you a shout out in the next month's episode. So once again, use the Linktree link in this month's show notes to see particular ways on how you can donate to the show. And I really appreciate it in advance, and I look forward to uh, chatting with all of you in regards to that. So thank you for your time, and let's get into today's podcast. If you knew her as Bertha Faye in the WWF, you would have taken her as everybody else did. Not seriously, as a joke character. But if you think that Rhonda Singh, the woman behind Bertha Faye, was anything like that, you are sorely mistaken. This month on Grappling with Canada, we take an in-depth look at the incredible career and legacy of one of the most feared one of the most vicious, one of the most intense and dangerous women wrestlers of all time, the Monster Ripper, Rhonda Singh. Hello everyone and welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. to Grappling with Canada. As usual, I'm your host, the Taxman, and I'm really looking forward to today's episode, which I think is going to open a lot of people's eyes to one of maybe the most misunderstood, not just women, uh, but Canadian professional wrestlers 
quite honestly, in, in history. So I'm really looking forward to today's episode covering the life and career, the very impressive and very, very misunderstood and, quite frankly, misreported career of Rhonda Singh. Now, before we get into all of that, I want to thank everybody for checking out last month's episode on Archie the Stomper Mongo on the Mongolian Stomper Archie Goldie. Uh, I had a ton of tremendous feedback, and I had a lot of uh, family and friends of Archie Goldie reach out to me, which I always get such a kick out of, and I'm very proud that I'm able to connect with people through this program who maybe uh, knew the person that we had covered, uh, maybe they had relatives that knew them, maybe they are a relative of that person. And they're kind of able to uh, to reminisce a little bit in regards to what we've been covering on this program. So I was very happy to have the uh, pleasure of talking to a lot of uh, friends and family of Archie the Mongolian Stomper. It really, it's just such a treat to be able to connect with people really across the world and from all walks of life who, who share their stories and who continue to remember the people uh, that we cover in the episodes monthly. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we kick off this month's episode. Uh, you can find this program, Grappling with Canada, on all major podcasting platforms like Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, etc. Uh, Good Pods as well. While you're listening to this program on any one of those wonderful devices and podcasting platforms, make sure that you subscribe to the show. Uh, if you have the option, please leave a five-star review and please leave a... Uh, written review as well if you have a chance uh, really helps me with the direction of the show and really it's just nice to, nice to read uh, some nice uh, things that people are saying about myself and about the work that we're putting in here at Grappling with Canada. You can also find this on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash Six Sided Podcast. We are marching our way to a thousand subscribers. I think we're almost at the 500 mark. So even if you listen to this program, on your preferred podcasting platform of choice, saying try saying that one three times fast. Uh, make sure that you also subscribe to us on YouTube. It would help uh, me immensely. As well, you can connect with me on Twitter at 6 underscore podcast. You can email me at any time, 6sidepod at gmail.com. Uh, that's all letters, no gimmicks, numbers, anything like that. You can also... Come and find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com. Use that wonderful groups search bar and search for the Grappling with Canada group and come on in and join the fun. As well as, I'll invite you to like the uh, Grappling with Canada Facebook page. Once again, use that pages search bar, search Grappling with Canada, and make sure that you like the Facebook page as well. In addition to all of that, it would help me immensely if you would do what you're probably doing anyways right now, looking at your phone, go ahead and share this program with your friends and family. We're trying to get the word out, and we've experienced uh, tremendous growth over this past 11 months with the program, and quite frankly, that's all thanks to you guys. So keep sharing the program. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe, do all those wonderful things wherever you buy, sell, trade, barter, or borrow, or listen to your favorite podcasts, and one of those being Grappling with Canada. I really much appreciate all of the support and all of the sharing of the program that's been happening. So once again, I want to thank everybody for all of that. As well, 
we have uh, t-shirts available finally at threadless.com slash grappling with Canada or it might be grappling with Canada grappling with Canada dot threadless dot com uh, is where you can find those shirts we have a bunch of fun designs up there uh, just of note the classic grappling with Canada logo all proceeds from that show are being donated to charity as I've said in multiple uh, episodes uh, there's been quite a few of you that have already taken advantage of that and I thank you very much uh, if you purchase a shirt make sure that you uh, share it either on Twitter or on Facebook preferably in the Facebook group and I'll be happy to uh, to, to share that and uh, and yeah we'll just have some fun with it and show it you out as well so once again grapplingwithcanada.threadless.com is where you can find those shirts you can also uh, support the program uh, via donations using the link tree in your show notes uh, you would have heard a little bit of that previously to this show and uh, you can find various ways to uh, support the show on there whether it's buymeacoffee.com slash grappling uh, whether it's a direct link to paypal or whether it's the tip function on good pods uh, some tremendous ways to help support the show and really help with the research and to keep all this thing going I also have a new five-star review that I'm going to read later on in the show. Once again, if you leave a five-star written review, uh, I will make sure that I read it on the next available podcast, so I'm looking forward to getting into that later on in this show. However, today, the reason that we're all here, Rhonda Singh. Now, don't let the show notes fool you, and don't let the title of the program fool you, because I know that a lot of people, their only experience with Rhonda Singh was her joke quote-unquote character in the WWF as Bertha Faye and also how she was used but more specifically misused in WCW as kind of this quasi-comedy I don't know what they were trying to do there and to be quite frank at that time WCW was a mess um, both in terms creatively uh, they were bankrupt. They were bankrupt essentially financially because of uh, machinations behind the scenes. But if those are your only memories of Ronda Singh, you are in for a big, big treat. Now I have two tremendous guests on the today's program uh, that I cannot wait to get to to have you guys listen to. Uh, one is a returning member. Uh, of the Grappling with Canada family. Uh, you would have heard Dr. Mike Leno on our Abdul the Butcher episode, so I'm very happy to be having wrestling's first dentist back on the show today, as well as a tremendous wrestling writer, Javier Yoist, uh, is also joining the program, and I'm really looking forward to uh, everybody getting to know him because as you're going to be hearing in this program, he's done... Well, it'll be right away now, 100 articles for uh, Pro Wrestling Stories, as well as some other websites. So I'm looking forward to my conversation with Javier and with Dr. Mike Leno, and for really dispelling a lot of the false information that's out there regarding Ronda Singh. Because unfortunately, and we're going to discuss this at great detail in the episode, so I'm not going to get into it too deep right now. But she is easily one of the most misunderstood, misreported, more importantly, and really the facts of her career are just so misconstrued by so many different sources. Some of it intentional, and we are going to get into that. Some of it unintentional, 
But today we're going to do a very good job, I think, of clearing up a lot of the misconceptions. We're going to talk in great depth and detail about what she actually meant to wrestling because there's a lot of things that she has done in her career that are overlooked and overshadowed by her involvement with, we'll say, the big promotion. Something that we're going to get into later on in this episode. But before we get into all of that, I'm going to set you up all in the proper frame of mind. So, for anybody who doesn't know the Monster Ripper, Rhonda Singh, from Japan, from Puerto Rico, from Mexico, we're going to kick this thing off right. So I'm going to play a little bit of intro from one of her title matches against Bull Nakano, and it really set us in the mood for discussing the Monster Ripper. So this is, if you've never heard it before, it's totally different than you've ever heard her be presented in any way, shape, or form, and uh, it's going to set us up in the proper frame of mind and eventually the proper context as we put things into place in this episode. So enjoy this classic uh, wrestling audio, and then on the other side, we're going to get into our program of the Monster Ripper, Rhonda Singh. ま、Ronda and Singh was born February 21st, 1961 in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And from a very young age, she knew that she wanted to be a professional wrestler, including skirmishes with neighborhood kids, as well as wrestling her kindergarten classmates in school. So from a very young age, we see the seeds planted that would eventually come to be known internationally as the Monster Ripper, Rhonda Singh. Now, I could go on and give you the Coles Notes version of her life, told by other people. However, I find it very important to include as many of the quotes from the actual people who I'm showcasing on this program as possible. 
and I'm going to be quoting from a couple of different articles uh, to give you guys more context about Rhonda Singh the person and as well as the characters that she portrayed. And I hate to use that term characters, but that's what we're going to go with anyways in terms of this conversation. Uh, the characters that she portrayed in various wrestling organizations. So this is a quote from Rhonda herself. Uh, she is talking about how she kind of got into wrestling itself. So, quote, Stampede Wrestling was a big influence because you had it on TV Saturday mornings. Uh, my mom used to go out and take us if we had been good through the week. She always had four ringside tickets for about 20 years. When I was five, I wanted to be a wrestler. I was in kindergarten beating up the other kids. Everyone who knows me in my neighborhood remembers me telling them I was going to be a wrestler. It was like a lot of wrestlers in the business now. They knew it when they were kids. And she would go on to say how she actually got started in the business, which is something that we're going to go into greater depth and detail later on in this program. But I want to give you her description in her words. She's quoted as saying, I was actually in Hawaii on vacation and zapping through the channels. I stumbled on Japanese women's wrestling. They were hitting each other with chairs and everything. It was an all-girl company and I thought it was the coolest thing. It sparked my interest. That's definitely what I wanted to do. So she goes on to give a little bit more context about her time getting into the business. Uh, she ended up reaching out to Mildred Burke, something that we're going to discuss later on in the program, and was accepted to Mildred Burke's wrestling school. She is quoted as saying, I cleaned out my bank account and told my parents that this is what I wanted to do. I said to my parents, give me three months, let me see if I can do this. And she would talk about her time in Mildred Burke's school. Some of the Japanese girls came out to L.A. to train and scout some talent. Uh, Burke was the only U.S. trainer having women go to Japan at the time. And they were saying, hey, a fat girl, we like her. And she laughed as she said this. That was in November, and by January I was main eventing in Japan. I could tie my boots and do a backdrop. I was pretty limited. And she's very conscientious in her quotes of being absolutely realistic in where she was at that point in time in her wrestling career. And she would go into further depth. And again, this is something that we're going to discuss later on in the program as well. Her first match was in Japan with a partner, Miami Konami, against uh, the beauty pair. She was quoted as saying, It was my first match and I won. The Japanese girls resented it because they never had to lose. If they lost, they lost to each other. They never lost to a foreigner. She would say further, they literally kicked the shit out of me. I was the first foreigner that they had to lose to and they didn't take it kindly. You were working seven, eight times a week. You had to roll out of bed and bit by bit get up because you were just dead. And she would further discuss her time in All Japan Wrestling, including a time where she had to start defending herself because of the abuses she was suffering at the hands of the other, not only professional wrestling students that were there learning, but also the wrestlers in the ring who were taking out their aggressions on her, this new up-and-coming foreigner who was getting the monster pushes. Quote, It was just a matter of defending yourself and saying, I'm not going to take this anymore. Once you got respect, it became very easy. They always respected you and feared you. So she would spend an exorbitant amount of time in Japan uh, from the 70s into the 80s. And then she eventually would come back to Calgary in the early 80s. But she has an interesting take on this as well. Quote, I didn't want to wrestle there until I knew I was good enough, she said. 
This is your hometown crowd and people you grew up with. The first time I came through, I was with a Mexican girl that was in Japan as well. We were only going to do two weeks. Stu Hart liked us so much that he kept us for four. He wanted us to go longer, but we had to go back to Mexico. And she would say further about her time in Stampede Wrestling. Quote, this was one of the best territories that anyone could work in. The people you meet there are still your good friends. Everyone had a good time. You didn't have any of the problems that you have in the dressing room now. There was never anything that ever escalated to a major problem. And she also knew that she was in a very advantageous position. And she didn't take it uh, for granted as some other people do. Uh, she was quoted as saying, In this business, you're really fortunate because it allows you to see a lot of the world that you would never otherwise get to see. And then we talk about her time with the WWF. So... Her career starts in Japan. She quickly becomes a very big established star there. She starts doing tours in Puerto Rico, in Mexico, all around the world essentially, making a name for herself, the monster ripper Rhonda Singh, which eventually gets her hired by, at that time, one of the two top companies in North America, the WWF. She would be quoted as saying, It was the best and worst of times. Because I started in Japan, I had a reverse philosophy than those who started in the States, and their dream is to wrestle in Japan. Mine was to wrestle in Madison Square Garden, she would say. I had that opportunity years ago when they had Wendy Richter, she said. Mula called me up and said that she wanted me to do a couple of pay-per-views with Wendy. The thing was, Mula wanted half my money. Why would you take my money when you're not doing anything? I didn't even know her. You wanted to go, but you knew it was going to be a guaranteed loss. And she would talk about further her debut in the WWF and what it was supposed to be versus what actually happened in real life. And her matches, specifically with Bull Nakano, were big factors in her wanting to go to the WWF. Quote, We had big heat in Japan, so this is what they wanted to do, she recalled. Medusa was going away and she was getting new boobs and a new nose. For three months, it was going to be Nakano and I. She was going to drop the belt to me. Medusa was going to come back after a while. We'd add a few more girls and make it a legitimate women's division. Eventually, Medusa and I would battle for the belt and it was undecided from there. I had a two-year contract, so we were going to space it out over that time. But as WWF fans know, that is not at all what actually ended up happening. Quote, the whole storyline went down the toilet, she said. The only way we could save it is if we were able to hurt Medusa because she was still scheduled for surgery. We had to get rid of Nakano to get me in there at the same time. And she had an interesting quote about somebody who we're going to be talking about a little bit more in today's episode. And that was the person that wrestling fans would know as Harvey Whippleman. Quote, he actually did live in a trailer park. He was that guy. That's who he was. He never bought a roll of toilet paper in his life. He'd always just take it from a hotel or a truck stop. She would talk about how they changed her character from the Monster Ripper to what WWF fans would come to know and resent as Bertha Faye. Quote, They put me in that character. You're not doing something you want to do. I was Monster Ripper for 15 years. It was hard to walk away from all that personality. She would further say, I couldn't do these moves that certain guys because certain guys were doing it. You went in every night with one arm tied behind your back because someone else laid claim to it. 
I was doing these moves on a daily basis for 15 years and now I couldn't do any of it. No one wanted you to look better than they did. I did power moves. That's who I was. It sort of stripped my identity. You're going to the ring, skipping and blowing kisses, looking goofy. You just went to the bank and cast your check. You felt like you were pimping yourself out. You were a prostitute for Vince. The guys were doing it too, so you know what people had to do for their money. And she would also go on to how it all really started unraveling for her. Quote, there was no real storyline. There was nothing really going on. We were just there. In the background, you'd have Medusa calling Vince all the time, asking why we weren't on TV. When you only have two girls, you can only do so much. She had limited skills and basically did the same thing all the time. Now, because of the lack of interviews that uh, Rana Singh had done, particularly in English, there's a lot of articles uh, in Japan, but they're almost impossible for me to access at this point in time. So what I'm left with is essentially secondhand accounts, for the most part, but I was able to stumble onto an article from The Providence, written in 1984, and this one really does shed some more interesting light on Rhonda Singh herself, and where she was in that point in time, because you got to remember, 84 would have been 11 years before she even came to the WWF, so this really gives you more context of Rhonda Singh at this point in time of what she was doing and what she really thought about the wrestling business. Uh, so this article is from the Providence, the Province, sorry, newspaper in 1984, and it was written by Sorel Sadman. The quote or the uh, title of the piece is really sums up what I'm getting to with this whole Rana Singh program, and it's titled "She's Real Bad." Rana Singh is one of only a handful of uh, women wrestlers on the Canadian circuit. 23, she was born and raised in Calgary, where she still keeps an apartment, but much of her five-and-a-half-year career was as a pro wrestler has been spent in Mexico and Japan, in the latter a national hero under the name Monster Ripper. In Canada, she is often billed as a Japanese wrestler, though her ancestry, many generations removed, is in fact Chinese. At first, she's quoted as saying, My family didn't think highly of the idea, smiles Singh. My mother would shake her head. I have three sons and it's my daughter who wants to be the wrestler? But it was my mom who got me interested in the first place, taking me to matches when I was growing up. My dad wouldn't go. He's still never seen me wrestle, except on videotape. Despite the family's objections, Rhonda rolled into the all-girl Mildred, Mildred Brooks School of Professional Wrestling in Los Angeles, soon after graduating high school. Japanese wrestlers spotted her there and took her to Japan, retrained and groomed her, and, at 18, she was a main event in a country full of wrestling fans. She admits it was a lucky break. Quote, I didn't want to type letters for somebody 9 to 5. I wanted a challenge, something different. In wrestling, once you get to a certain level, you go where you want, work who you want, when you want, and ask what you want for it. And you make a lot of money. Singh is on a four to five week series of matches around Wrestling Canada with a company who's televised regularly in 54 major centers in 22 different countries. She's pitted against Rosie Marino of Mexico and she admits that competition is sparse in North America. Quote, I win 99% of my matches anyways. Against Rosie, it's 99.98%. She's a lot smaller than I. I could probably kill her, break her up, but then who am I going to work with? 
I haven't broken into the States yet. I think they're scared of me. The American girls are lazy. They just play it. I don't. In the world of pro wrestling, Marina was the good girl and Ronda is bad, quote-unquote. Being the only two women on the tour, coupled with Rosie's lack of English and Ronda's ability as an interpreter, she speaks fluent Japanese as well as Spanish, and that's something that we're going to get into later in the program as well. They do spend some time together once out of the ring. Ronda stresses competition and, like most wrestlers, she, she resents it being classified as entertainment. Quote, I'm an athlete. Everything I do involves strength, speed, and power. I like to beat people up. They're going to do it to you, so you better do it to them first. When I'm in a vicious mood, I'll draw blood. People are sick-minded. They like blood and gore, but we're not going to kill ourselves for them. They've got a lot of time and a lot of hand in all sports. In hockey, they're not happy unless they see someone fight. In wrestling, if they don't see blood, they get cheated. Or they feel cheated. And her quote in all of this on the article itself is, I like to beat people up, which I think is tremendous. And it really does showcase kind of the mentality that Rhonda Singh had in the ring at that specific time. And it was something that she carried with her and her legacy in Japan, in Mexico, in Puerto Rico, and other large markets, unfortunately, until she got to the quote-unquote big times. And this is something that we're going to discuss further on in this episode, and this is something that wrestling fans seem to have a hard time with, is this notion that if you don't make it in the WWF, somehow that qualifies you as not being a big wrestling star. There's a misconception with some North American wrestling fans that other promotions in other countries like Mexico, like Puerto Rico, especially in Japan, that, you know, matches are held there in front of 500 people and everybody sits on their hands and there's no excitement and it's boring. I challenge anybody listening to this program, and I normally don't talk about specific wrestling matches, so I just want to make that abundantly clear before I quantify what I'm about to say here. But I challenge anybody to go onto YouTube, type in the Monster Ripper, and watch any of her matches from Japan with Aja Kong, with Bull Nakano, really anything, and understand what it was like for her being an outsider, being a foreigner, coming into Japan creating this massive buzz and you can see literally when she's walking through the crowd to get to the ring for her match she has security around her because the fans are hot people are legitimately upset when she's just killing their favorite Japanese wrestler you can watch matches of her in WWC in Puerto Rico where they have these wild cage matches one in particular with Wendy Richter which we discussed a little bit later in the episode as well, where it's an absolute just bloodbath. These two women are just beating the hell out of each other. They go in the crowd. They're throwing chairs around. They're doing stuff back then that male professional wrestlers nowadays would have a hard time doing. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. And the, the buildings are crazy. The amount of fans is insane. And that's really something that I want to highlight in this episode. And really that's been a focal point of this whole 
experience of doing Grappling with Canada. For wrestling fans, there is a large life outside of the WWE and what they present as their revisionist history is not necessarily what actual professional wrestling history is. If you would look at the WWE's version of Ronda Singh's career, she was a joke character who was kind of a throwaway with this sleazy trailer park manager and didn't really accomplish anything. Cole's Notes versions, that's what it was. And then if you take in the combined careers of her in the WWE and WCW, WCW, she really didn't do anything either. Same thing, she was paired with Oklahoma, an awful manager, just a, a horrific take off of uh, JR, and I I won't even get into that. That's a whole other conversation. But again, you have somebody who's presented as a joke, who's not allowed to work the way that she can work, and just used and abused. Whereas her entire career beforehand, never mentioned, never brought up, because these companies had a, uh, and still have, in the case of WWE, have a hard time for some reason, acknowledging people's successes and careers outside of their own companies. So you didn't hear the matches of Ronda Singh with a chain with Aja Kong in Japan. You didn't hear about the cage matches, four-way cage matches in, in all Japan, where women are literally bleeding and beating on each other and just just destroying each other. In matches for a championship. You don't hear about her going after fans in the crowd in, in Puerto Rico and almost causing a riot in Mexico. It's crazy. So for as much as I normally don't encourage you guys to go on YouTube to look up specific things, I highly encourage anybody who has only ever seen Ronda Singh as Bertha Faye, go out of your way, throw it in your YouTube machine, Check out her work in all Japan and her work, especially in Puerto Rico as well. It's honest to God, it's better than almost anything you're going to see in today's professional wrestling scene. And it tells a story, something that is sorely lacking in today's professional wrestling environment. So, now that I've caught on my soapbox and cut my diatribe there, once again... I'm trying to highlight and really put into context the importance of Rhonda Singh and why her legacy matters. And we're further going to get into that as we move into the program. So I'm going to bring my first guest into the program. Uh, Javier, Javier is uh, going to be joining me right away. But before we get into that, I'm going to play a promo that she cut after one of her matches in WWC. Now, Grappling with Canada has a very international audience. I think we're heard in over 50 countries on last count. So there's there's a wide swath of the world that this program covers. This promo that you're going to hear from Rhonda Singh is done in Spanish. And it really illustrates the fact that she would go to these other countries, not only become a big star but take the time to learn their language, their culture, how they do things. And I think I can't exemplify that any more than to play this type of promo. So please enjoy this promo cut by Rhonda Singh in WWC. 
and on the other side, my incredible conversation with Javier Oist. Very happy to be joined on the program right now by not just wrestling author, but uh, a man of many uh, many traits right now. Joined on the line by Javier Oist. Javier, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Andy. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, it's funny, we had just mentioned something off air, so we're kind of coming into this one laughing a little bit. You released, what, your 99th article in two years, you just said? Well, it's it's been submitted. There's, it, it's one of those things. I enjoy writing, and 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 I was only supposed to write one article, and in two years, and 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 if you include the pandemic, I su- I've submitted my 99th article. 93 have been published, but 99, when when they're all published, it'll be 99 total. So uh, I'm just chomping at the bit to see which would which one's going to be number 100. That would be, that would be <laughs> a nice number to reach, you know. <laughs> No kidding, that's incredible. I, I I haven't I haven't written books yet or anything, but if you add all ninety nine articles, that's about what five books there. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be getting into Pat Laprade territory right away. Oh well, I I super respect for 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 Pat Laprade with his uh with the squared what's it the squared circle women lady women of squared circle yes yeah, sisters of the squared circle yeah sisters exactly that's a that's a amazing book and but he's, he he was on the Andre the Giant one right he did yeah. that one too yeah so Absolutely be- phenomenal work he's oh he, he's like. incredible and former uh former two-time guest on on this program and yeah what a we were talking off air as well about um you know all these wrestling historians that we've had the great pleasure of dealing with over the years and uh yeah he's he's right up there as well absolutely oh, great work great work so before we get into tonight's topic, uh, let's just hear a little bit about yourself for all the listeners at home who may not be familiar with yourself and uh, your work. That's impossible, but I can I can try to have them familiar familiar them familiarize them with my work. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> since since it's a wrestling show, we got to put ourselves over somehow, right? Well, yeah, you know. The last thing you want to do is come out and bury yourself three minutes into a program. I do a good enough job of that myself. So, <laughs> well, my name's uh, Javier Oist. I'm uh, I've been uh, I've been watching wrestling since around uh, early '86. So I started watching at the uh, tail end of the territories. I saw how things. I, I was there with Hulkamania, King Kong Bundy, WrestleMania two, and I I uh, was. I loved watching Florida Championship Wrestling, Kevin Sullivan, and the Army of Darkness, and how he he, he uh, left uh, superstar Billy Graham out in the desert, and all that madness of, of, of Florida Championship Wrestling. And I, you know, I've, I've watched, uh, of course, NWA, uh, the, the Georgia Product, and and there's a there were a couple of years I stopped watching wrestling. I just I just uh, 
start enjoying just getting other interests. You know, you start growing up. And then I was pulled back in when the NWO started at in a WCW yeah. and Stone Cold Steve Austin and all that. I, I thought that, that was those were really powerful storylines and characters. And fast forward to a couple years ago, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Silver King, the the Mexican luchador who died in in London. I think it was two years ago now. Yes, he had a he had a heart attack in the ring against uh, Juventu Guerrera. Most of them, most people call him Juvie. Well, that was that was my uh, first article for Pro Wrestling Stories. I I just felt so indignant over what ha- what had happened, and this was. Uh, I'm not good with dates, believe it or not. We're in 2021. This was around 2019, I believe. I'm not going to cheat by looking it up. But uh, <laughs> when it happened, I was just so upset that that in the 2019 or 2018, whenever it happened, how, how is it that there was no immediate medical attention for the, the, the talent of the ring? And how is it that the referee let the, let, let the, the match continue he kind of – he respected kayfabe so much, he basically let this guy die in the ring. You know, those things just – just to me, it's just crazy. So I wrote to – I was already a fan of pro wrestling stories, and I wrote to them, and, and I said, you guys should write about this. This is a very important story. And uh, the owner, his name is J.P. Zarka. He's a very cool guy, a good friend of mine now. He said, you know – why don't you do it? It seems that you're passionate about it, and uh, you already sent me all this information where where we could take it and write the story by ourselves. On you know, take your info and, and write it. But why don't you do it? You know. And when he said that, I I, and I almost I froze. I, I I thought me write a write an article. I yeah, I've been a fan of pro, pro wrestling illustrated, the wrestler inside wrestling, all those 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 magazines from from the past and i said it would be pretty cool if i could write one of these articles and i thought well okay i i just said i, I just responded okay without even a clue of how, <laughs> how, how, how i was gonna do it you know i it's one of those moments in life where where you think to yourself well this is this is a moment you're gonna look 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 at in the future and say you should have gone for it man just, just go with it. No fear. Go forward and do it. And and what what made me feel confident doing it was that on their page, it, on the part where it says uh, about us, there's a part where it says, uh, you know, that they'll they'll do some editing and they'll work with you if if, if you need help, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, how bad? You know, let's just submit it. You know, it's, it's how bad could it be? Yeah, how bad could it be? I got positive feedback and um, I was relieved. And it's uh, that 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 story is still out there. It's uh, about the uh, the uh, the pat the uh, sad passing of Silver King in the ring. And I thought, well, that was my article. Great, I did it. You know, bucket list. And then I, I guess I got bitten by the uh, the writing about wrestling bug. And I thought to myself, okay, just one more. Who would who do you really <laughs> want to write about? And I started thinking, what, what are you passionate about? Who, who's one of your your favorite wrestlers of all time? And I and I told myself, well, let's try, let's let's submit an article on Big Van Vader. There's no article on him on the site. You know, they they they'll probably want to want me to do it. And of course they did. And it's and it's just a snowball from there. And I, and I, and off 
when you were before you were recording, we were just chatting, and I said that I had just submitted my my article number ninety nine, and uh, it hasn't been published yet, but it's already in 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 in, in their drafts they're waiting just waiting to be unleashed to the to the public <laughs> it seems crazy to me that that they wouldn't have anything written about vader like he he was just an incredibly yeah. important character or not character in that uh term of phrase but one important person in, in professional wrestling history i uh, that boggles my mind i'm not gonna lie to you possible it's possible they had like one maybe but remember if you if you uh if you grab the 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 book by uh, Kenny Casanova, Vader Time, you can just go through that and 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 whatever's not on the site, you ask them, hey, there's a there's an interesting story here. I'd like to write about this. So there's in every single book, there's a whole bunch of possible uh, story pitches, you know. So it's possible they had that maybe one story on him. It's possible, you know. But uh, and and um. Because when I was a kid, to me, Big Van Vader, or Vader as most people remember him, to me, whenever – when people would doubt the legitimacy, the, the how quote-unquote real wrestling was, I would show them a, a, the match with Vader against Cactus Jack, you know, McFoley, or, or Vader against Sting, and those were some pretty brutal matches, you know. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, if you're gonna, and I, and, I, and, I, and I just loved watching. I loved watching those matches. I love the physicality of those matches. Well, and then naturally, the your writing that you've done for pro wrestling stories is how it came across you. Because in my research here for tonight's topic, Ronda Singh. First off, the amount that's out there is, mm, we're gonna say limited, and I'm gonna use that in a polite term. Uh, further to the limited amount of information that's out there, some of it is very skewed. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, uh, especially in what you had written here. But I had come across your article on ProWrestlingStories.com, and I was like, oh my god. Here's like, it was at that point of my research, it was almost the, the holy grail of, you know, finally there's an article that is kind of, trying to dig at what I wanted to dig at in terms of this program. And then I had reached out to you and then you had so graciously agreed to uh, come in the program. So I really want to get into, well, I, asked, I asked you to beg me and, 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 we, and we came to an agreement. We came to an agreement, right? Well, it was, uh, I mean, you like, asked I'm for a pretty, pretty busy guy. You, you asked for so much that. money. I mean, the, the zeros on that piece of paper that you had 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 mailed, snail mailed me of all things was incredible. But <laughs> I just, I, I just, I just, I just, you just slipped the, uh, you just pushed the, uh, the check toward me, and 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 and, I, and to me the zeros on the left were okay. I wanted more zeros on the right, but they were all on the left of the, of, of the decimal point. But I'm saying okay, I like, I like, I like Rhonda Singh. I like writing about her, and, and she deserves a. She deserves uh, the spotlight for for real for sure. Well, see, I wrote that check oh, in French, eh? So that's little, why just, it looks just, like that. <laughs> just, <laughs> and just and just one one thing I really wanted to uh, mention, and uh, when you wrote to me, I, I love feedback from 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 readers. You know, mo most of it's positive. Not really any negatives. Sometimes it's negative because uh, they just don't. 
like reading what they've just read, but if that's what happened, and based on our research, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, happened, but, uh, if you're given the facts, you said, right? You said to me, I really, I really took to heart because you said that I did a, it, I, my article was fair, and that's exactly what I was trying to do. I wanted to portray, I wanted people to understand that Rhonda Singh. If they remember her as Bertha Faye in the WWF, it's not a terrible thing. These are these are characters and gimmicks that are given that are they're they're placed upon the wrestler. It's like a, a, an actor, you know, in a movie. And uh, it's a, we're, we're gonna I know we're gonna get into this, but my point was I wanted people to understand how this evolved for better or worse. But in the end, Rhonda Singh was very, very talented with whatever role she was given in, in any of these companies. And that's, uh, and you know, I don't want to put myself over, but uh, the reason I had, I was so complimentary about the article was exactly that because what you had written it, that's what I was, that's my intention of this program as well. Right. Throughout every topic that I've covered so far, I've always tried to present, you know, a fair and factual presentation of whoever it is. Unfortunately, in the wacky world of professional wrestling, uh, kayfabe <laughs> exists not only in the ring, but also in some of the things that you read. So when I I read your article probably three times in its entirety before I even emailed you because the first time it was like okay i i think that this is exactly what i've been looking for but i want to make sure so i read it again and then on the third time I'm like you yeah. got the road color glasses and read it again with without it yeah <laughs> yeah so with without uh without oh yeah let's see if i can yeah, sign just, this guy to a big ass just, contract to get him on the program but <laughs> yeah just, first you read it you read it enamored and then you re you read it okay without any heart. Let me just read it cold. Well, let me yeah, just read it like I'm not like a like I'm a researcher. Maybe I'm not even a, a fan. Let's see where, where this article goes. You know, and just that's exactly you know, it. Almost like an almost like an almost like an ed, in, in, almost like an editor, but just cold, just cold, uh, top to bottom, right? Well, and and here's the the further to that. I honestly, when I started reading it, my first thing was like, okay. I was already setting myself up for disappointment based on the other material that was out there. So based I, on my other articles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, no. Based on the other articles other written article on like, on Bertha. Let's see if he let's see if he hits this one on, on the target because the other ones have been way yeah. off. They look like, the other ones look like copy paste from Wikipedia. Or something. Let's see if he does this one right. <laughs> This sounds like uh, like Hannibal wrote it. He. <laughs> oh man, I, 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 I like his stuff. I don't think he writes though, right? <laughs> well, I think Wikipedia writes his stuff for him. But anyways, <laughs> so yeah, so like I said, the article is tremendous. Got in touch with you, and and we're gonna get into it right now. So as we're kind of talking about it, what drove you to write the article was is. Was Rhonda Singh somebody that you had uh, previous knowledge about, or is this somebody that, as you were kind of uh, researching or rediscovering your love of pro wrestling, that she was kind of one of these figures that you you had uh, come across and were interested in? Like, what drove you to write this article? It's 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 an interesting story. Um, it was actually a reader a reader's request. 
they wrote to pro wrestling stories and 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 the owner editor asked me if i wanted to write about her i was kind of i was i was i had a couple of days where i wasn't writing and i'm, and I'm trying to think about what, what i should write about next and boom he just said hey uh there's a person who would love an article about Rhonda Singh. Would you like to tackle it? And I said, absolutely. I got chills, and I said, absolutely, because I love uh, writing. This, this, this is. I thought, I thought to myself that this is this is an opportunity to to spotlight someone who has been maligned over her her WWF uh, the character they 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 put on her. So I thought, okay, let's. It was. It was at first difficult uh, researching about her, but little by little, things just kind of uh, fell into place. And I did know about her as as Monster Ripper in Japan, and a little bit about her in in, in WWF. But I wasn't really I can't say I was a, really a fan of 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 her in WWF. But I was younger. But now, as as an adult, it just to me it's amazing the change they 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 did with her. They, it's almost they, they. To me, it looks like they send you a, a, a Corvette, they send you a sports car, they send you this amazing, proven vehicle. People know people for 15 years. This vehicle has performed, and and people have paid tickets to go watch this this car race. And you all of a sudden start altering it from top to bottom, as because you can. And that to me is, is, is the Rhonda Singh slash Monster Ripper slash a, a, a Bertha Faye story. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating, but very sad. And I mean, we're going to get into this a little bit later as well. I don't want to I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse to say, but, you know, it's still something that we see in today's modern age of professional wrestling. But that's a topic that we're going to get into a little bit later in our discussion tonight. So, so you, you, so have, it, was a, it was a reader's request that the answer it was, to a, reader's question, request, it was a reader's yeah. request. And, and I, I, I was glad to write about her and I'm, and I, and I, and I, I like, I definitely like how the article turned out and, and it's got, it's gotten good feedback. It's gotten, it's gotten, it's gotten great feedback actually. Now, when you, that article. when you were researching the article, uh, did you have a hard time to get the facts about her career or how, how was your experience kind of, uh, separating fact from fiction in regards to, you know, Rhonda Singh and Bertha Faye, and then obviously at Monster Ripper as well. She's not alive, and there aren't too many interviews of her. You have to kind of uh, grab what you can, different articles, different books, and try to see if one says what the other one says or at least is similar if one is totally different than than what the other one says then you got a problem yes and you put that aside and you continue your research and uh and you you go with let, let's say for example wikipedia wikipedia is so dangerous because anyone can go in there and write something many times there are um there's references to where the information came from, but many times that those articles don't exist anymore. So, so that's another stumbling block. I, in my case, I use Wikipedia as a super, super general guide. It's like a guideline, but every, every uh, sentence I read, 
I really, I really kind of analyzed it. I'm like, mm, that doesn't sound right. And then I started looking in other places and other sources. If I can avoid writing anything about uh, from Wikipedia, I do because first of all, that's not my work. Yes. Second of all, Wikipedia reads like Wikipedia. That doesn't read like a story. It reads like a like a like an instruction manual. And uh, it, it, especially it, when you read it like this to your interviewer. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> With my hoodie on and my skull background and my red, red and black video game uh, chair. Oh goddamn! <laughs> I'm glad he's way up there and I'm way down here in El Salvador, so he's not gonna find me. Yeah, uh, it's like a, you know, I think he's a 24-hour drive away from me. So what? Whatever. He you can look me up if you need to. But anyways, um, so. So yes, the request comes in. You start. So you, your... just, you just, you just kind of have to. So you, with, with these articles, you have to use your sixth sense. And 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 one huge thing about when I write, one huge thing is, if I'm reading someone uh, some other person's work, and I and I and I think what they're saying is correct, that cannot be copied exactly like their work unless it's 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 referenced. To their work, it has to be. I, I I respect people's work so much, and and the last thing I want someone to say is this guy just copied my article and he just, you know, I do not that that to me is is first of all, and every single writer should just protect themselves from that. There's there's uh, stories out there that everyone agrees on, like. Let's say the plane ride. This this whole the plane ride from oh, hell thing. Oh God! Yeah. Everyone's talking about Ric Flair, and and basically only he's denying it happened. <laughs> so <laughs> my instinct tells me my instinct tells me that it did happen. That's that's the that's kind of how I write my articles, and and just so people won't crap on me, you have to protect yourself and say, look, this I got it from this source. So don't be coming at me. It's this is the original source, and this is what they said. All right. So, <laughs> so it's a very fun but complicated process writing these articles, and, and we just hope for the best, man. <laughs> well, and you, like I said, you hit it out of the park on this one. And uh, for for myself, uh, in the research, to, you know, getting into Rhonda Singh, yeah, there was a little bit about her. Um, pre-wrestling um days we'll say growing up like how she how she was exposed to um wrestling in itself and i thought that you had a fun you had a fun little anecdote in your uh in your article here so for everybody sitting at home um bertha bertha Faye, but more commonly known in this program tonight as ronda singh uh was born in calgary but she used to go to the Calgary Stampede wrestling matches, but I love the, the line you have here uh, that her mom would take the kids only if they behaved, which I thought that that was a nice touch. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's from, uh, that's been stated in, in different sources. So uh, when I see it, when, and when, and when I say sources, I, I talk, I mean, I mean, uh, books, I mean uh, articles from websites that have been out there for a long time, not just not just something that's out there. So I thought, okay, I, I believe this happened, you know. If and and 
if if I include this, I don't think people are going to start jumping on me and say that's not what happened because I, according to two or three sources, that's what happened. Now here's here's yeah. an interesting. Actually, I believe Rhonda. I, I believe Rhonda Singh said, said that. Says that. I believe she says that. So. What's interesting in your article as well is um, is how she started getting into the business itself because this is something that's been yeah. uh, misquoted, misrepresented over the years. So there was many different stories going back and forth um, that she had tried to get trained by the hearts, but they. Some sources said that they refused to train her because she was a woman. Some sources said that they weren't training women at that time because at the time, mm-hmm. I don't believe that uh, women's wrestling was being as featured in Stampede Wrestling. Uh, what were you able to kind of find out about uh, separating the co- diverging stories about her initial trying to get started with Stampede Wrestling? Yeah, I, I, I read that too. Just like you said, one... And, and and that's the and that's that's exactly the the right way to do it because if there's conflicting sources, you tell the reader. Some sources say this, some sources say that. And uh, I read that they didn't want to train her because she's a woman, but not really because she's a woman. It's because they didn't have women's wrestling at the time. That's what I understood. But I also read uh, Bret Hart mentions it wasn't like that. It wasn't really like that. It was more like a scheduling conflict. So I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't. I can't see the hearts telling her flat out, no, we're not going to train you for, for these reasons. I, I believe maybe there was a scheduling conflict, and also I would think perhaps they didn't see the potential – in a potential draw in her or women's wrestling. I don't, I can't, I can't recall. I'm not a huge uh, stampede uh, historian, but I don't recall any women's wrestling in stampede wrestling. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was there women's wrestling in stampede? There was uh, so very little, but they were people that were brought in, right? Not, not really homegrown. Yeah. They would parachute Maybe. in matches. So like you would have your, okay. your Wendy Richters come in, for example. Oh yeah. Cool. And, and obviously yeah. because they had the match, you know, we'll get into it later, but uh, quite often they would, they would parachute in matches. There was very little, um, quote-unquote homegrown talent that was used um if i'm wrong i'm sure heath mccoy is going to be listening tonight and uh email me heath if i'm wrong and feel free to correct me but uh but the territory was never built on that and i'm not saying that in a derogatory way but everybody has to understand like where we're in the what late 70s at this point in time um, 79. Yeah. And, and well, she debuted what I understand 79, 80, right? So this must've been, she started wrestling from my research. She started, she wasn't even a year in her training when she, when she went to Japan. So this was 78 around there. And here's the other thing to keep in mind about that point in time is stampede wrestling was on a downturn. Uh, I don't think it was until, maybe 79 when when the territory started getting hot again because this was after their big run of stars like like the stomper was gone uh dan crawford was gone i believe and a lot of the big names were all out of there um and this was just before the time that uh that uh the bulldogs would have came in so you're looking at this kind of a down period so she's kind of in this in this uh perfect storm right they can't train her because 
you know, of time constraints and, and they're trying to get this territory fired up again. And then the other part of it is there's just, even if they did train her, what, what are they going to do with her? Yeah. So I, 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 I gave Red Heart the benefit of doubt because I, I didn't want to look, I mean, I'm, I, I want to write an article, but I don't want to just stir controversy just because so I, and I didn't want to write, well, they didn't train her because she was a woman or the hearts were a-holes and they told her no. I, I, if I, if I can avoid it, I'm not going to write that if I can't prove it 100%. So I just, I just went with what Bret Hart said happened, you know? So, uh, hopefully that's what happened, mm-hmm. no, but it was, it, it was probably for the best. Cause, uh, you know, she did pretty well in Japan afterwards. And that's a super interesting story of how that all came together because correct me if I'm wrong, but she was on vacation in Hawaii, I believe it was. And that's- and she had saw, was it all Japan on television? That's what I, that's what I read. Uh, she was watching, she was just kind of channel surfing bored in the, in the hotel. And, uh, she saw these wrestlers, Japanese wrestlers just going at each other with chairs and just doing what they do. And she was so impressed. And, and that's what, that's what made her, think that wow i could do this you know she was just she was just in awe and uh and and the coincidence is that she wound up in 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 all japan she was and she was exposed to she was she was exposed to we could say the the best uh women's wrestling out there of that era all japan women's wrestling so that was that was that was good on her part yes because so she she um I think she trained with uh, Mildred Burke in California. She, yeah, supposedly she was Mildred Burke's last student in the uh, in Seattle, That's right, too. California. That's crazy. Last student. I thought that was amazing. I love that. Yeah, what a great, what a great tie-in, hey? That that would be her last student, and then she makes a such an incredible impact in Japan. And and just a just a, a parenthesis there, if, if if any of our readers for some reason are not familiar with Mildred Burke. I super recommend oh, uh, the book that's out there on her. Uh, I, I, I apologize. I can't remember the, the, uh, the writer, but if you just search for Mildred Burke book in, in Amazon or whatever, it'll pop up. It's a uh, diamond. It's, it's something like that. The, the book's amazing. The book is, is so packed with information and, and, and research so deep and, and, and what, and, What's amazing about the research done in this book that a lot of it was from was from newspaper clippings of the time. So you so the writer, the author, I'm sorry, the writer, the author had to fill in a lot of the gaps. And and I'm not saying he assumed things, but sometimes he had to kind of kind of guess what he think happened in those in those things. Because sometimes the articles had different information about who won the match. One said Mildred Burke, the other one said so and so. You know. Yeah, depending on the so, market, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> or who, or or the promoter who's oh, uh, passing too. along <laughs> the, the dollars <laughs> to the newspaper. Yeah, guy. that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so. So then they spot her. They 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 go in. They go in. Uh, all Japan women uh, scouts. They spot her at Mildred Burke's uh, school. You know, and they see this five eight. Uh, pretty she wasn't she wasn't uh you know the quote unquote uh fat she wasn't overweight she was just thick body you know and, and just a, the a big girl you know 
and you can you know, go. There weren't, there aren't too many. There aren't. There weren't too many girls with that body type in Japan. So they must have been like, mm, this might be interesting, you know. <laughs> and that was at the time when they're, you know, it was customary to bring in, you know, the foreigners to be the the you know the big bad guys, the big heels. So it, they're looking at her, and immediately thinking like. You know, we can we can really do something with her over there because, like you said, there's there's nobody like her there at that time. Yeah, as as, as far as I, if you if you try to think about women wrestlers of her body type before Ronda Singh, I, I I'm shooting blanks. I mean, there's there's there weren't women were not like her, uh, you know, before she hit the scene. As, as there might have been a couple, but but really, I I can't I can't remember any right now. I can't even think of a single yeah. one off the top of my head. If one comes to me, I'll, I'll then, blur it yeah. out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then you started getting, uh, you know, in Japan you got Aja Kong and 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 Bull Nakano and Dump Matsumoto and and uh, you know big girls, you know big, uh, very aggressive women wrestlers, uh, Devil Masami. and all all this was was a little bit right after uh, Ronda Singh you know, arrived, you know. If not, if not a little bit after, it was like during that period, like they were just all training together. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but she, so she, she gets trained by Mildred Burke, goes to all Japan. I think she's there for what is it, like a couple of months before she was put in a big spot already, right? She won her first title a couple of months in, and one of the wrestlers that was in there was um, Jackie Sato. And Jackie Sato, she was a, a, a superstar wrestler, but she was—I think she was a, also a singer, actress. She was like super over as a babyface over there. That was one of the wrestlers. It was a so I think I think uh, I think of sing one. It was the tag titles, correct? It wasn't it wasn't a single single titles, but uh, she won her first belt a couple months in. And lost it a couple months after, but this created resentment, from what I understand, with the other uh, students because here you have this foreigner, which which you know in Japan is called gaijin. So you have this foreigner; they're pu- they're pushing her to the to the stratosphere, and all of a sudden she's getting these title matches and she wins, you know. And she hasn't she hasn't really paid her dues when uh, Ronda Singh was in Japan for the first time. She wasn't. She didn't even have a year of training under her belt. She was super green, you know. And they were just. But they they put her mm-hmm. over everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at first, yeah. But then, but then these other big girls started started uh, appearing on the scene. But at first, they just put the, the the you know the little girls against her, and then she was just slaughtering them like lambs to the slaughter, you know. And it's it, so you know we were talking a, a bit about how you know that was kind of the the Japanese um, idea back then was to bring these these big larger than life people from North America over to Japan to to be these these monsters and eventually have their their hero triumph over them and you you've seen it time and time again whether it's uh, guys like you know Gene Kaniski, we discussed that very heavily in my episode regarding him. Whether it's 
you know, people like Bruiser Brody was there. Uh, Stan Hansen was was one. Um, yep. Uh, Terry Gordy, I, I, like there's there's so many more that I'm I'm forgetting. Abdul the Butcher is another tremendous one as well. But like all of these, yeah, the, yeah, the, the Funks coming in, Dory. And, that's right, yeah. Dory and Terry, and you had uh, Dick Murdoch, and you know, a lot of good talent. And it's crazy to think like you 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 wouldn't think that they would try and replicate something like that with with the women in all Japan, but that's exactly what they did, and it paid off like div- huge dividends. Oh, by the way, uh, the title she won was the um, it was a tag title WWA. No, she won the WWA World Title twice in the eighties. But so the first one was title. the tag titles, and uh, she debuted in a tag team. That's right. Uh, yeah, against the, the the beauty pair, Jackie Sato and uh, Jackie Sato and Maki Ueda, seventy nine January. Yeah. Very good, but that 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 formula worked very well in Japan, and I and I still and 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 they still use it today. I think they still kind of you go fall back on that. They're always looking for the big, uh, big American or the big Canadian or basically the big foreigner to come into Japan. You know. So when she's in Japan, oh, of course. Um, so she's in Japan. She's she's getting this monster push, but the Japanese wrestlers are not thrilled about this and you know as much as wrestling is supposed to be a work she was taking a ton of physical and mental abuse in the ring um what were you able to ascertain about how how that kind of came about for her and how she was able to deal with it i mean what i understand is that she was being basically bullied she's basically getting bullied uh shot on in the ring as they say and uh you know japanese joshi pro wrestle you know joshi joshi puro as they call it pro wrestling is is in itself is stiffer mo it's it's is a lot stiffer a lot more physical than most uh women's wrestling across the globe and, and it, it still is today now now you'll see that style that strong style in in, in other places but back in 79 it was it was the toughest women's wrestling there was, and this is and you have this green student coming in like we said getting getting this huge push and they're like she hasn't paid her dues, so uh, you know they just start becoming extra rough on her you know like almost like a high school bullying kind of thing, and what I understand is uh, uh, Dynamite Kid who was working with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling at the time. You know, I guess over there in Japan, the, the the foreigners or the Americans or the Canadians or or whatever the Australians, they they somehow they know that they're over they they find out they're over there and they and they hook up right and they and they and they socialize, and uh, so Dynamite Kid kind of taught her a couple of tricks of the trade and and how to stick up to stick up for herself and just teach teach them a lesson and understand let them understand that you know they're not going to be pushed around you know. So uh, I, I didn't I don't know any details of what he taught he taught her, but apparently it worked and and they started respecting her more. I think it's one of those bullying things where the if if you stand up to the bully they'll they'll back down pretty quick you know. But they're trying to see they're trying to test you how how much how mu- how much they can get away with. 
and uh, and from and and from everything I read, no matter what the source, uh, I Bertha, I'm not going to call her Bertha Faye, <laughs> Rhonda Singh, uh, seemed like the 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 friendliest, gentlest, just uh, the least aggressive person you would ever know. But in the ring, she turned into uh, what Monster Ripper, for example, in Japan, you know. So uh, they tried to pounce on her, I guess, like hyenas in the in the jungle, you know. She's try to try to see if they could rip her apart between all of them. But but once once you get uh, Aranda Singh stand stand up straight and start sticking up for herself, I don't think there there would be any more bullying from then from then on, you know. And what I found interesting. Uh, both reading your article and a few other um, tidbits that I was able to uncover, you know, throughout my research is that not only did she kind of kill the the bullying that she was experiencing, but she kind of started to curtail it away from the other students that were experiencing it, which I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's what, that's what I, uh, that's what I, what I investigating for the article. That's what I, I read too. And I, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. Because you'll often hear, like, you, you know, oh, you know. As long as we, they're not bothering me, who cares? Right? Yeah, but, but or or, or the flip side of it. The, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, or the flip side of it is, well, I went through it, so then they can go through it, too. So Exactly. That's I thought the, uh, that was super classy. To hear that, that was really, really tremendous to hear. That's, uh, that's one of those old school mentalities, it seems. Like, well, I got bullied, I got they shot on me in the ring and, and I was treated pretty bad the first couple of years. So she, she either handles it or, you know, she'll be gone. You know, I had to take it. So she's got a, she's got a woman up, you know, in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So naturally she's, she's over like massive in Japan. She's a big star there drawing huge hoses, having crazy matches comes back to Calgary. I think that it was in the late eighties. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they essentially just kind of made her the women's champ without a match, right? Yeah, what, what I read is like they they uh, they made her the women's champ because they claimed that they had that she had beaten uh, Wendy Richter beforehand, so that so that made her the champ. And what what I when I was invited on the show, I started uh, just refreshing a little bit about uh, about Ronda Singh, but also I was I was reading about Dama Singh because you had a great great episode on i call it episode but i had a great show on gamma singh i started researching a little bit more about him and i remembered that they i read that they wanted her to be part of his stable the 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 karachi vice in some in some sources i read that she was part of it but what i read when i wrote the article I, I I researched that supposedly she wasn't, but those were the plans. So I'm not sure if you know a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's one of those weird things because I think that she was put in it, but I don't think that she ever competed as part of it. If that makes any sense. That so, makes perfect sense. So I, 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 that would that would explain the different way it's worded in different places. Yeah. So and. I might get this wrong. So Heath, again, if you're listening, you can correct me again. But I think <laughs> I think that when she was getting brought in, this was during their like their real uh, we'll call it the decadent times when they were they were sipping on the Karachi soda, which I think was it was like Scotch and Mountain Dew, and they were you know in kayfabe 
partying with women and having all night orgies and whatever. And then she <laughs> she was getting brought in as like the ringleader of the orgies or something like that. Maybe, Just something maybe ridiculous. That my, maybe that could be my 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 article number one hundred. The Karachi Vice. <laughs> The worst of the worst. <laughs> just absolute, just despicable heels, eh? But, uh, and, and truthfully, how much of that is fact or fiction? I mean, that's that's up to the listener to decide, I suppose. That's one of those mysteries, but it's something that we did. And by touch the way, in. you gotta you gotta you gotta plug your shirt. You got you got grappling uh, with Canada Karachi Vice style shirt. Yes, sir. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, on sale right now. If you're listening to this episode, uh, it's currently on sale. So head over to uh, grapplingwithcanada.threadless.com and pick yourself up one today. There's a shameless plug, unintentional, in the middle of the we'll program. It's a, it, you'll be the coolest cat on the block. <laughs> only super, only only super dedicated old school dudes will will, will know what you're wearing, and super super cool fans who listen to this show and know about Karachi Vice will be able to just put both together and say, wow, that's, that's pretty genius. I'm going to order one of those myself. <laughs> and, uh, and if you, if you, uh, get stopped in the street and somebody says, Hey, it's Karachi Lice, uh, let me know and I'll make sure that I get you something special. Cause that'd be tremendous. But, uh, anyways, <laughs> as, as we kind of move on in this, uh, in the program tonight. So, so she's, Back in, in Stampede, uh, unfortunately, Stampede doesn't last too much longer at that time, but then she she takes her exploits down south into Puerto Rico, I believe, correct? And that's where she has great matches against Wendy Richter, who I've been trying to get an interview with for maybe, well, ever since I started writing. I was about to say <laughs> five years, but I've been writing for a couple of years. So maybe that'll be episode uh, show one hundred. Wendy Richter's listening. I'll, I'll, I would love to interview you. You could be my article number one hundred. That would be tremendous. But, uh, but she's kind of not in wrestling anymore. She's kind of stepped away from wrestling for the most part. You know. But so like she's it, in Puerto Rico, she has matches with 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 Wendy, and uh, there's a there's actually a cage match. At least one is on on YouTube where they're fighting in a cage. It's a very it's a strange cage because I think it's it's the ring. I'm not sure if the ring's very low or the cage is very small. It seems and and I think it seems like it just seems very constricting the the the, the, the cage that's on for their matches, but they definitely had some great physical matches between them. And if anybody knows a little bit of what was happening in Puerto Rico, all you have to do is go back in the archives a little bit to our Abdul the Butcher episode because uh huh, you want to talk about some uh some intense matches. Uh Puerto Rico is certainly uh certainly home of some some crazy stories, some crazy matches. Absolutely. Yeah, and they they'd have a they it would be Carlos Colon and, and Abdullah Butcher in Puerto Rico. Then they go like to the Trinidad and Trinidad and Tobago and wrestle well they don't well they didn't wrestle, they just beat each other they up just and beat bloody the, each beat other the piss out of each other <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> like see how much let's see how much blood we can we can get out of each other in this match and then i think they went to dominican republic they would just those two guys between them they just just buckets of blood man all through the islands <laughs> yeah so and so people so people so people based on that pattern of matches Ronda Singh and Wendy Richter were, were very physical matches. Not not 
not like Abdullah Butcher and, and Carlos Colon uh, just butchering, but but they if you watch them if you watch Wendy and 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 and, and Ronda Singh, the matches they seem a little messy. But I believe that's good because real fights are not super perfectly choreographed. So it really does seem like that there's heat between them because one, like let's say Ronda Singh would pull Wendy's hair, and you know Wendy su- super great at selling selling you know when she's in pain and everything. So, but I I would say I would say those hair pulls were were legit painful for her. So the matches are very interesting. I, I would, if I would recommend a, a Ronda Singh match that's not in Japan, I would recommend her work against Wendy in uh, Puerto Rico, for example. That's a fascinating point that you bring up, and it it's something that kind of gets overlooked in in today's era of of modern wrestling is the the believability of what's happening in the ring. So when you could like exactly to your point when you can go back and watch that cage match and i have watched it it looks like a struggle it looks like a contest it looks like like they're they're trying to one up one another rather than oh what's the next spot oh now we have to do this now we have to do this there's no cooperation there's no choreography there's they they weren't sitting in a hotel room you know writing this thing out on loose leaf beforehand this was like let's go in the ring Let's show them what we can do and have a, a, a physical, a strong match, but a match that is going to give the fans that, that extra sense of, you know, I know that wrestling is fake, but these two don't like each other, and you, and you can see it in the ring. Yeah, these these two are almost like a, a Johnny Valentine. I can't convince you that wrestling's real yes i can't convince you that wrestling isn't fake but i can convince you that i'm real or something like that yes so if you you go you and and i hate that word fake because people just don't understand okay let's let's talk it up talk about it being a work but but then all of a sudden i hear people say oh you know wrestling they're they're not really tough guys they're wrestling is like a dance it's like and and he's almost saying like wrestling's like ballet some some comments out there and i'm and i and i and i just don't like getting into these facebook fights i really don't like to get into them but some of these comments out there i'm like listen man pro wrestling is a work yes but believe me it is one of the toughest most dangerous things that you can do if you don't know what you're doing <laughs> oh god yeah you're in a world of hurt and if you don't, and if you don't have a partner that and and if you have a partner that doesn't want to take care of you, that could be basically your your last day uh, walking like a normal human being on Earth if they really wanted to, you know. And and going back to that point where of choreography, if you go back to wrestling, how it started, wrestling was supposed to mimic, and it was supposed to be like a fight between two people. It wasn't. Now it's very. Now it's unbelievably choreographed, and which is it's a beautiful thing. If you look at it as art, it's amazing. But it, but most of the time, it does not look like a a, a simulated fight anymore. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't remember who and coined that, the term, and, and but sometimes that is 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 quote unquote crapped on by certain fans. If they look at the old school stuff, they're like they're just kicking and punching. But the point is. 
each kick, each punch means something. There's 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 a reason behind everything. Not if I'm throwing myself off the top rope ten times in a match, it doesn't mean anything anymore. But if my if my last uh, the 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 way I pin you is is off the top rope and you don't get up, it shows that my, that was a powerful move. Yes, that means but something. If I do the move if I do the move on you ten times and you get up nine times. Why are you not going to get out of it on the tenth time? Is there some kind of energy bar like in video games where after <laughs> ten times you just didn't have you just didn't have enough energy to 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 to, to, to get out of the pin? So so that, basically, we're two grown men here talking about the logic of pro wrestling, but but we let's move on. It's yeah, because like, we could we could do an entire not, show on that. I think. Not, well, that well that doesn't make sense, but that makes sense. Okay. Um, we can be here for all night. Yeah, oh, we yeah. Uh, we can go into that. So, in terms of uh, in terms, so and here's something that I didn't wasn't able to find out. Maybe you would know when she was wrestling in Puerto Rico. We're just going to stay there for a second before we move on. When she was wrestling in Puerto Rico, was she still the Monster Ripper, or was she going by Ronda Singh there, or would you know? I believe she was. I, I believe she was Monster Ripper when I when I, I I can speak Spanish, so I could clearly, well, in my mind, I I, I believe I, I hear Wendy Richter's future future husband. Uh, what name? Uh, uh, well, he used to wrestle, but he he became Wendy Richter's husband, and he's a commentator. And I remember him saying Monster Ripper, so I believe that's what she went by. And and then after that she goes to AAA and and she was it uh, La Monster there or what or what was her name in, in Mexico? Yeah, they started calling her La La La, Mon, La Monster. You know, so I guess I guess you know Monster Ripper. I guess I guess I guess in Spanish doesn't really roll off the tongue so well, and and, and really doesn't. So La Monster is 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 easily understandable because you got a big woman, you know, and uh, and it's like a monster. And it's not a. She's like not a model type, you know. And and, and because, you know, they. I guess Mexico, they're used to, again, certain body type. Not a not a big woman like uh like monster like a monster. Uh, Rhonda Singh. Now I'm calling her Monster Singh. That would have been a good name. <laughs> that would have been a cool name. Yeah, for sure it would have. <laughs> That'll be in the show notes, yeah. hey? What what yeah. could have been? Yeah, people people in Mexico do remember her. She 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 wrestled against uh, what was her name uh, Marta Villalobos, which was another a big girl, you know, but Mexican girl. But she was usually in uh, in in in, in uh, three on three matches, which what they call they call Australian they call those Australian uh, tag matches, Australianos, three on three. So she she has this career in Japan with all Japan. She has her you know this big run in Puerto Rico, a run in Mexico. Now get into the unfortunate run with the WWF '95. So 15 years of success. That's that's the 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 preface to this. 15 around. It's like 15 years of, of 14 or 15 years of being Monster Ripper, either Monster Ripper or um, or, or Ronda Singh, and uh, she's just dominating people who have seen her say, "Well, you know this this this." This girl can go. She's big. She's agile. And then she rides on WWF as Monster, as as a as a Ronda Singh. But then something happens. 
So, okay, and this is, it's extremely important that we really, really reiterate what you just said. She has this incredible career, uh, you know, essentially across the globe of this character, which is not really, I hate the term character, and I, it, 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 it bemoans me to, to use, yes, yes, real persona, I, yes, tremendous. So she has this persona, it works and it's over and people are ready for it because she, A, she's believable as hell and B, she does it so well that, you know, anybody who wasn't a believer, it doesn't take very long for them not to be. So yeah, I, 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 we're I, talking about, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, late seventies into the eighties and, and early nineties right now. The the the, bur the the secret is out that you know wrestling is probably most likely a work. But then you get you have this woman who looks like she's just beating the crap out of people. Like, isn't this supposed to be fake? That's that's what what she was. Monster Ripper was believable, like you said. And she arrived in WWF like with a bang. The way she arrived was great. It's just what happened afterwards that 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 is that is just a, a travesty in in, in in wrestling, you know. And so so she she arrives on the scene. Um, I believe it was she she attacked Alundra Blaze after uh, she had defended the title against uh, Bull Nakano. And yeah, yeah, Bull Nakano, yeah. Nakano. Well, everybody says it different. I, I'll blame that on my Canadian accent, if you will. But uh, so. So she comes in, she absolutely destroys Alundra Blaze to the point where people are like, like... It looks like she's... It, it's, go ahead, I'm sorry I cut you off, go ahead. No, to, to the point where the fans are like, what the hell? Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I encourage people to go back and look at that. It's right there on YouTube. You don't have to be paying, you don't have to be paying Vince McMahon any money. You can, <laughs> you can watch it for free on, on YouTube. It's there. They haven't, brought, they haven't taken it down yet. You see monster. What you see the lights go. You see the lights go off, and when they come back on, it's this huge woman. I think she's all in black leather, face paint, huge hair, and uh, and I think it was Lol. I think Cornette was 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 the uh, was the announcer. He was doing. It was and, him and, and Vince on the. Yeah, call. he was color. He was color, and she said something like, "She's even bigger than Bull Nakano." And then he goes, is it even a she? You know, these are the kind of – this is the kind of color that is is rare nowadays. That's, those, this is the kind of color commentating that will leave you without a job quick. But the point is when when Singh arrived, she just started busting up on, on Alundra Blaze, and it looked bad. And, it, and there's a part in the end – uh, I, I don't think it, it. I guess there's no spoilers here, but this was like '95. There's a part in the end where I believe she kicks Alundra Blaze a couple times right in the schnoz, and it looks it looks real painful. It, it was it, and and I don't know if it was if it just looked bad, you know. And you can see the fans in 1995 convinced that that this woman. Just legit beat up on 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 Medusa, aka Alundra Blaze. I think it was fantastic how she was introduced. You know, and it's even more incredible to think like this was at the height of the 
the cartoon wrestling era, as I like to call it, of the WWF. This is where you had... True, true yeah. Yeah, so you, you had um, guys playing plumbers in a wrestling ring, or they were... Uh, yeah, they, you had, they had, you had the had dentists, a, like you had garbage, garbage, garbage men. men yeah, so. and you had uh, dentists, and uh, Doink was there. Um, you know, it was, it was, they really were off a little bit off the mark on um, what was, what was, what could resonate. Was basically they were doing everything not to resonate with the fans. It seemed like, and then know, they, for a and then they, there. and then they bring in the the Monster Ripper in a hot like a crazy segment and as you know insane as she comes in they just kill her flatter than a plate full of piss faster than anything what and then the subsequent aftermath sorry you got cut off there you said you're asking what happened yeah so so what happened with her debut and then and then the aftermath of her debut well, she debuted, like I said, like uh, like just lightning striking, and uh, I I would have loved that. I I didn't I didn't see that live. I had to I had to look back many years afterwards on on how that happened. But I would I would have loved that. I think if I would have seen that live, um, couple weeks couple weeks later, all of a sudden she shows up. Uh, she's like skipping in the whoa, no no longer has the the fearsome face paint. She gets this, uh, I guess these, they change her hairstyle. They put like, uh, this outfit on her with polka dots and just all these. Yeah, she got the dusty colors. She gets a, a, a boa. She, they make, they make a Rhonda sing into a, a, like a, a joke, a walking, talking joke, like a clown. And I'm not, and, and, and I'm, and I'm not, and this is not on her, you know, again, I, I, res, I respect her work. But this was a this was this was rough for her to put this on her, and especially like like you mentioned, a proven entity, a proven uh, uh, let's we're using the word persona, someone who something that was working everywhere she went and all and WWF, whoever was uh, head of creative Pritchard or whatever Bruce Pritchard, uh, some somehow they decide that we're just going to make her into into a joke, pair her up with Harvey Whip. Whip woman and uh say that she's like from a trailer park and she's acting all sexy it's it's comedy relief you know it's and i would say let's to be fair it wasn't that bad in my opinion looking back but it's bad when you compare what she could have been in wwf that's my point now and i know a lot of people might be thinking okay so you you know, you guys are talking about something that happened in 95, so what is that, like 27 years ago or something? Maybe my math is wrong about there. But anyways, so, you, you know, you guys are going, no, 26, because I'm 36 and I was 85. So anyways, quick math. But anyways, um, that we might be going a little bit hard up, but this happens today still. So you, you and I'm not sure how much of... Uh, current modern wrestling you follow i very follow very little but i did see that they had um piper um is it piper niven but she is also viper she was she's a uh well she's a bigger girl i don't mean that in a derogatory sense but she is a she is a big star in 
in the UK, a, a huge star in the UK, would come out just the same thing like the Monster Ripper, right? She has a job, your work, whatever. They got her in on WWE now as Dewdrop. That's her name, and she she's a yeah. comedy sidekick. So for you yeah. know, it, it, for anybody who wants to say, oh, times have changed and things have progressed, well, no, they haven't. And I guess we have to understand that it's still it's still the same company, it's still the same WWE, and they still seem to have this. I don't know. I don't know it's how like you want it. It's like a, it's like a tendency to, um, to, almost like, like erase everything you've done somewhere else, and we're gonna do something with you totally different and prove that well we can make it work. Some it's yes. just a weird way to, and 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 that goes back to they want to own the um, the rights to the character, and um, and and I'm not. And and with 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 uh, Rhonda Singh, you know, going in, turning into Bertha, turn, then turning her into Bertha Faye, I'm not I'm not saying, uh, you know, poor Rhonda, let's let's all cry for her and all that. What I am saying is like what you're what you're emphasizing. It seems like it's, these things kind of repeat themselves. Where and 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 I guess <laughs> who's making the decision where they thought that this was going to work, you know. But uh, but Rhonda Rhonda Singh, from what I understand, she was a trooper and, and and rolled with this character. She seemed to have a lot of fun with it for a while. But but I think deep down she was a little frustrated with it, you know. Well, and then like you said, they had her paired with Harvey Whippleman, who, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about him, I'm sure, in a in a minute. But see, so you're you change her character. She's now like trailer park sleep. You give her a sleazeball manager, which which further adds to it all, and and then they're coming out and doing these like weird like pseudo sexual skits on the air, but then you also have the commentary team just digging into her all the time. Like I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I it's it's you know what this you know what this is just just go back to like when you were a kid watching wrestling, and and you don't you have no friend. Very few of your friends watch wrestling. Your parents really question why you watch wrestling, and you want them to to kind of respect what you you enjoy. And all of a sudden, they see something like this on, on TV. You know, it's it's basically a lost cause. You're just embarrassed by this as a fan. If if someone you're embarrassed by it, watching it by yourself. But then you're even – it's worse off as someone who's not a fan watches this. They're like, why, why are you watching this? This is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and I remember – because I was in elementary at this time, and that was – there was a few of us that were watching wrestling. Not many of us because this is obviously before the big boom. But that was our – and it's horrible to say now. And But that was our big joke on the, on the playground was like – Oh, your your birth of Faye because she was just she was a joke like <laughs> I I she was like we didn't know as kids what who she actually was you know oh yeah pre WWF yeah and W that's the way that's WWF WWF style WWE creative but that's been their style for a long time where where um no they'll they'll just erase the past and the the past accomplishments of someone and, 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 and just uh, start from scratch. And sometimes you get uh, ridiculous results, you know? 
So as we kind of prog- progress, is an interesting word, um, <laughs> through her WWF run, not only did they change her character, but they also were changing the way that she was working in the ring as well, if I'm not mistaken. I, what I understand is that she was limited. She, I mean, she had, she was a, a basically a power wrestler as Monster Ripper, but then she was limited to not being able to do certain moves. I read somewhere that um, they didn't let her do. I think it was a power bomb or something like that. And I didn't include it in the article because I really couldn't confirm that that was true. But what I could confirm is that they didn't want her to be super aggressive in the ring. Although, if you watch her matches against Alondra Blaze, she does pretty well if she's supposedly limited. I can only imagine if they would have allowed her to do everything she could have, she was able to do. But if she was limited, even though she was limited, they were pretty, pretty decent matches, I have to say myself. So she, she kind of wallows in WWF, you know, We'll be honest, it's mediocrity at this point from what she was to where she is. <clears throat> she makes the jump then to WCW, but at that time... Uh, well, she did, win the, she did win the belt. She did win the title. Yes, you're right about that. But I'm, I'm talking yeah. about in terms of in terms of what she was accomplishing previous to this. Yes, I know she won the title. Yeah, yeah, she, I, she, I get what you're saying. She had some, she had some moving, notable just matches. Just before moving on, I, I think it's... At least worth mentioning that she, they, even with this terrible gimmick, she she did have the belt for a, a couple months, and the plan was I don't know what happened. The plan was was for her to uh, wrestle Bulnacano, and I don't know what happened where she wound up wrestling Alonja Blaze, which which is fine, but Bulnacano was supposed to be part of that equation too, but it just didn't happen. You know the the, the plan was to bring uh, Ronda Singh in. For Alondra Blaze to have quality matches like she had 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 in Japan, Helen. That's why they wanted to bring uh, Monster Ripper in. Why they changed her character, who knows? Again, but uh, but she did have matches with Alondra Blaze, and then she did win the title for she had it for a couple of months. Yeah, it's just it's I don't know the the whole thing is very uh, confusing to me. I I suppose is. But but it is the WWF after all, so there is that. And I think and I think and I think the women's division didn't disappear after this for for several years. Yes, it's kind because of like the last uh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure somebody will. But was did this happen before Medusa left with the belt to WCW, or was this after? I'm, and she yeah, came I'm back. thinking about that right now. As as you as you mentioned that, it could it could have been really. Because the timelines for me is that's a good that's a good question for your for your listeners, man. Where where's the timeline when she went to WCW and dumped the belt in the garbage can uh, right right on TV? You know, because because then Medusa goes to WCW, then Ronda follows not long after, and they have matches there. But it's at that time WCW like that. This we're talking now. They're um, they're smack dab in the middle of the NWO, so that's the big focus. And then you have the cruiserweight division, so there wasn't a whole lot of room for the women's division. And truthfully, all that they really had for women's division at that time was it was uh, Medusa, Alundra Blaze, and then Ronda Singh. And I guess they had a couple of throwing jobbers 
but it's it's not like yeah, they had they had a couple of they had they had a couple of uh, uh wrestlers women wrestlers who were decent names in the eighties and names escaped me and they came in for a couple of matches but nothing nothing like you would really remember nowadays you know which is unfortunate yeah so so she's in she's in WCW but that sip ship listen to me talk uh although not everybody knew it at that time that was going to be gone very very soon um yeah she was there she was there when they were basic they were they were a couple of years into you know they were about to just that ship was already sinking when she got there yes a couple of years later WCW would be gone so it, it was she got there when it was a mess you know and there's there's no organization there's nobody looking out for her specifically but you know the women's division so she, again i have to reiterate right we're talking about somebody who who had such an incredible career from from japan to canada to puerto rico uh to mexico you know and all places in between comes to you know north american wrestling fans would consider the big time wwf uh, we obviously know what happened with that run, and then goes to you know the other big time. Although at that time they weren't necessarily WCW, and then it's it's like she, it's it's it was like even she, worse. She's I think it was even worse for her in WCW. I think she was in uh, like these mud matches, and she was in these pure comedy segments. I uh, I think she was uh, trying to sell her stuff backstage just not you know physical it was just so weird how they started using her and obviously you had bobby heenan also making making cornet type lawler kind of comments about her just 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 sad and and it, again it seems like ronda singh is is uh enjoying herself but she's kind of like rolling with the punches you know well this, I, this is these are the cards that have been dealt to me and i'm and i and i got and this is what i have to do you know but far cry far cry from from a monster ripper so, in, in, in wwf and even worse in uh wcw well yeah and it's just like what like what a what a horrific end to, and like then she retires in 2000 so it's like you know the, for this 20 year plus career and like to go out in such a whimper like that is man just horrible she passed away uh like a, she passed away a year less than a year like a year after she retired in in july 27 2001 uh she was only 40 and and she's gone a lot of a lot of questions remain of of, of what, how she uh she passed away. I would have. I would have loved to have read or, or or listened to more interviews with her. There's very there's very little information on her out there. Okay, this is. Uh, I I know you know. Obviously, talking about people passing away is not a nice thing to talk about. But again, we're, we're talking about Rhonda Singh and the difficulty we have both faced kind of separating fact from fiction in uh, trying to understand and piece together her, her story, both for your article and, and this program. Now she, she had passed away and there, there were, we'll say conflicting stories about uh, how she had passed away. And uh, 
and again, this uh, it's uh, once again not nice yeah, to talk about. Yeah, it's one of those things you got. It's, but, it's so, one of those things you got to be really careful with, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the one thing I will say about this, so Harvey Whippleman, uh, her her um, on air love interest, we'll we'll call him with the, on the when she was on the WWF uh, television. Uh, which she, which supposedly they never get all, got along with, and that's okay. So uh, they, they just work together. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So so the story is, and he said it, and uh, some other people have said it as well that they didn't get along at all. They just did it, like did the angles on TV because that was the job, and they had to. That being said, when she passed away, I guess he had come out in articles saying that she had taken her own life, which I thought was very, I don't know. To me, like, I understand if if you had a a bad business dealing with somebody or, you know, maybe you didn't like working with them or whatever, but I find it very unsavory. Yeah, it's a bad taste. Yeah, yeah, to to come out after... She had died of a heart issue is what it actually was, It's almost like he's trying to... I mean, it's almost like he's trying to make himself the center of attention with with her with her with her passing, but he wants to be the center of attention things up. And oh, she probably took her own life. And there's a there, there's a an interview uh, with him on, on on again on YouTube about him. That's his theory, and uh, that's fine if if that's your theory. But just let her let her rest in peace you know just let her rest man i mean just just it's 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 not your place you know and i i just thought it was so incredulous because it's it was like almost immediately like he just this was his and maybe it wasn't and maybe i'm reading too much into it but to me it comes off as oh this was his time to capitalize or maybe get the last word or whatever his intention was i don't know but to me that was yeah, a very in poor taste uh, series of interviews and comments to uh, to make regarding the passing of Ronda Singh. In the end, the end, it's all documented, and in the end, he looks he looks terrible saying that. But honestly, Harvey Whippleman is a is a footnote in in in, in wrestling history, and 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 um, I think Ronda Singh is is much more important to. In, in, in wrestling overall than, than, than at Harvard Whippleman, you know. So whatever he says, honestly, I include it in the article because it's something to think about. I'm not, I, I didn't want to dedicate more than a couple of sentences about what he said, you know. I think, I guess, like, with her, her lasting legacy, and I'll get your opinion on this as well, but really there's as we went into the 2000s, and I'm not talking about the brawn panties version of women's matches that were prevalent in that point in time. I'm talking about uh, the Japanese women's wrestling matches. Then when we had TNA come in, they'd had the knockouts division when they were taking women's matches seriously. And there were a lot of women from those organizations that had watched those Monster Ripper matches from japan from puerto rico and took a lot of inspiration and took a lot of of pride in in the work that she had done for women's professional wrestling what you can actually accomplish as a female professional wrestler and brought that into their their repertoire so 
for as much as her, you know, her last five years of the career was, you know, mediocre at best, the stuff that she did previous to that still stands up today. And it's, it's almost like, let's, let's put it this way. You know, you know, franchises have, have many movies and there's some fans who, who draw a line between saying, you know, I just watched the original trilogy, you know, Star Wars, all those other movies never happen because they, they are, they are travesty. They suck. So with with uh, with Aranda Singh, you can almost say, you know what? In in my heart, in my mind, as a fan, to me, it's it, Monster Ripper. That's that represents Ronda Singh, and whoever was in WWF and WCW later on. I choose I choose to ignore that uh, that persona, that character. To me, it'll always be Monster Ripper, and that's that's how most a lot of people just put this thick line and then divide her her career like that just for <laughs> you know it's just uh they focus on the positive let's say you know and that's again you know one of the reasons that i wanted to do this episode specifically on her because you know there is still a, a strong sense of you know what she had accomplished previously but like i said a lot of it is wrapped up in you know, innuendo and rumor, and like I said, articles like the one that you had done, especially, and a couple others, really paint the picture of, okay, she was way more than even many of the people who followed her All Japan career, for example, would realize. Yeah, people people who who, who followed the product in the, in, the, in the late 70s, early to mid 80s, in Japan, Puerto Rico, Mexico, they remember her. They remember her. And, you know, in the United States, people remember her as Bertha Faye, but thanks to the Internet, thanks to shows like these, thanks to books, thanks to great, great investigative work by, by authors nowadays of, of, of fantastic wrestling books out there, I think her legacy is, is, is secure because uh, there's more information out there. And, and, and my, uh, Rhonda Singh was just wasn't just Bertha Faye. She was uh, many characters at some point, and her peak was Monster Ripper. But uh, she was a talented lady wrestler with whatever role she was given, and 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 and, uh, and I like to remember her, remember her that way. Even even though she was dealt a, a, an unfavorable deck of cards, she 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 did her best. And uh, if you and looking back on it. If you if you choose to ignore her previous work as Monster Ripper, there's 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 a lot of things that that are salvageable with her Bertha Fay character if you look at it with an open mind, and and just just take it as you know the the wacky world of of pro wrestling where sometimes things work and sometimes things don't. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, can, I certainly can't say it any better than than that myself. You bring us bring up some excellent points at the. Uh, the end there so as we kind of look to wrap up this uh segment tonight uh obviously we have the hundredth article eventually to get looking forward towards but uh, we got to get to number 99 first um so where can uh where can people find this supposed 99th article and what else do you have on the back burner right now going on yeah there's 
there's a mine at the at the time of recording this show with you uh, at ProWrestlingStories.com. There's there's um, six more submitted, so there will be 99. I could if I stop right now and let these be published, there'll be 99 fantastic articles out there. But if for some reason I'm annoying as hell, I just encourage you to go to ProWrestlingStories.com and read any anything else on there by the other writers. I think you'll have you'll have a fantastic time. There's all kinds of topics. The uh, the page is dedicated mostly to old school wrestling, not not the newer product. And, and uh, just check it out, ProWrestlingStories.com. And I'm going to put on put over Soros and Me Talk one more time as we wrap up tonight. Uh, one other article that you had uh, written, which I enjoyed, was uh, was the Janet Boyer Wolf article. So it's not you're not just a one trick pony okay. there. That's it. <laughs> and that's a crazy story too. I know it's not related to, to Canadian wrestling at all, but to me that was a crazy story to read. That's um yeah that's 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 the, the I'm not you know I encourage people to, to to look for Janet Boyer story if you if you look for it on Google. It should be one of the first articles that pop up, but uh, this goes way back to, to to the Mildred Burke era of wrestlers, and uh, it's always it's always great to to learn about these wrestlers where there's so little footage, video footage on them. I wish there was so there was more footage on them, and the footage that that, that you do watch is is great. It's just uh, they really all their matches they go 100% against each other. There's no there's no uh, it's just straight it's straight ahead man. Wow. That old school old school women's uh, grappling and black and white glory. <laughs> tremendous stuff, tremendous stuff. So uh, where can uh, where can people get in touch with yourself then as well? I. You can you can find me on Facebook Javier Oist last name is O J S is in Sam T is in Tom Javier Oist uh, you know you can friend me uh, and uh, I have a uh, a wrestling page on Facebook it's called Classic Wrestling Stars and you can check that out as well. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go and add that one right now. So. Uh, bef- before I let you go, I just want to thank you again very much for uh, for joining the program tonight and for uh, for the tremendous work that you have done. And I'm looking forward to reading in the uh, near future. Thank you very much. I, thank you so much for inviting me. You're, you're, you you do quality work, and and it's my honor and 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 the privilege to to be on the show on a show with you. And 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 the amount of research you do for every single show is 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 amazing i and i hope people really understand that these these the work you do is not easy it's a passion project but you do a heck of a job and 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 thank you once again for inviting me to to join you to to speak about uh ronda singh and so we can keep her legacy alive for uh future generations you know i appreciate the conversation. and i'm gonna have to have you on again this was tremendous well just uh well, we can negotiate something, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> checks in the mail right now. <laughs> well, as long as long as the Raiders aren't playing and I'm not writing something, we we, we we can we can we can we can try to squeeze some time in. No problem. You just let me know. Anytime, my friend. It'd be it'd be, it'd be my privilege. Again, it'd be my honor. 
Now, before I get to my next guest, Dr. Mike Leno, I'm going to play some quote-unquote classic wrestling audio. Now, this comes from the WWF run of Ronda Singh as Bertha Faye. And you're going to hear a little bit from the sleazeball manager, who by sure at this point, I'm sure you're aware that I don't think very much of. But anyways, you're going to hear from Harvey Whippleman. You're going to hear from Bertha Faye, known to us as Ronda Singh. And then on the other side, my interview and discussion with Dr. Mike Leno. Now, forewarning, the audio quality with uh, Dr. Mike Leno is not uh, what it normally is for the simple reason as we had some technical snafus uh, while recording. So, But it is an interesting conversation. Uh, we do get off, off topic a couple of times, so if the audio seems a little disjointed... Uh, there was some editing done, so I apologize for that, but there was, we spent about 20 minutes just cutting promos on some of the modern uh, wrestling that we see nowadays, which I didn't think was really relative to what our topic of conversation was uh, today, being Ronda Singh. So, with all that being said, the conversation is great. There are some little tidbits that he brings up that I had never heard before, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear it as well, so... Once again, some quote-unquote classic wrestling audio. And then on the other side, my conversation with wrestling dentist, Dr. Mike Leno. We're here to talk about the World Wrestling Federation Women's Championship. And let me tell you right Whoa. now, Doc, my honey, honey, my sweet potato, my gorgeous Bertha Faye, without a doubt, will be the next WWF Women's Champion. Because you see, not only is she the most gorgeous creature on the planet. Uh, debatable. Not only has she got the intelligence to have the finest bow on the planet. The one in her hair, the one around her neck. But she has whooped every girl in the trailer park. That's something to be proud of. She has whooped every girl at the honky-tonk. Huh. And just like you said, it is time for this gorgeous Bertha Faye to become the WWF Women's Champion. And just like our special love, that championship will be there forever. Well, let me ask you something here, Bertha Faye. You know, I've been watching Alundra Blaze's career for a long time for more reasons than one. But anyway, you are the only person to ever injure her, to ever put her out. Does this send you into your inevitable matchup confident? <laughs> Alundra Blaze, you cannot compete with me on sex appeal because I have it all. Look at this. All right. Nice skirt. Alundra Blaze, you can't compete with me on men because I have the ultimate man a woman could ever want. <laughs> oh, my. Take a look at Harvey. That's disgusting. Alundra Blaze, you cannot compete with me on talent because I have it all. And the only thing that is going to change is that when I become the WWF Women's Champion, that 
belt is going to have a few more polka dots on it. <laughs> well, Come on. I tell you, the good Lord makes them, and the good Lord pairs them. Oh Let's listen up again to this. All right, very happy to be joined on the line. Finally, <laughs> via a couple of technical snafus by wrestling's original dentist, Dr. Mike Lano. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. I don't know if I told you, but uh, we're going to be talking about, obviously, women's wrestlers. I have a lot of respect for Britt Baker. I was on Busted Open with her. It's been about like eight, nine months. And, uh, you know, they specifically, I'm on that show maybe every four to six weeks. I was on three times two weeks ago. And uh, anyway, so like I grilled her. I was throwing out these questions only a dentist would know. We actually, <laughs> for a lot of professions, have our own inside lingo or carny. We don't call it carny. But, you know, when I say a class two amalgam, a lot of people may not know what that is or a class five foil or, you know, so I was asking her stuff like that, and I said, you know, what did you have to do on your boards? Uh, what is an ideal perio-probe reading on buckle and lingual? She spat that out, and I, you know, I asked some other stuff, like what's a cavitron? And, you know, stuff like what's a cone cut when you screw up doing an x-ray when you're a dental assistant and you screw up, one of those screw-ups might be a cone cut. And, and Britt got all that stuff. So she's legit. I was the first, but she's the first wrestler wrestler who's a dentist, and she's done it brilliantly you know her ring gear and her video they have all kinds of stuff like they have a panorex x-ray i think that opens her her walk-on video and on her some of her ring jackets she's got mouth mirrors perio probes uh it looks like uh, uh dental high speed drills and a low speed drill there's a d distinction so she she was aces on that and um anyway i know we're what, maybe two months out from Daphne's passing. So I want people to know I have done a ton of appearances besides doing it, uh, talking about Daphne, Shannon, or as she called herself, Daph Shan, you know, in which she would email you or any of us. Like uh, another guy who knew her probably even better than me was uh, Ring of Honor's ring announcer, a great guy. But that's the way she would email it or sign off, Daph hyphen Shannon or Daph Shan. Um, but I did a two-hour tribute on the show I do with Evan Ginsberg, nearly two hours, and then went on Crazy Train Radio with two legends I hope to bring to this program, uh, Tex, Sue, Sue Tex Green and Tony Rose, who was part of, they were the original Glamour Girls in the 70s, and they were, you know, often second below Bruno Sammartino title defenses, etc. Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, Philly Spectrum, Cap Center in D.C., etc., but this is the 70s, and it was Tony Rose partnered with fellow heel Donna Crescentello, and they were the premier women's tag team. You know, when people say, oh, we need tag women's tag titles in WWF, or now, as we've heard, they're apparently going to be almost letting that go. They're, they've broken up all of the other tag teams except for um, uh, superhero A.S. Nikki. Oh, God, and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Rhea Ripley, who lost her belt, so there's that. Yeah, she lost her belt. She's getting in big trouble. I heard uh, uh, Renee Paquette, formerly Renee Young, talk about, like, that's, like, the biggest sin you could commit where you get the most penalties. And, and you know, it, it's not even your fault. I would not blame her. But perhaps Rhea can go back.
back to being the kick-ass person we saw in NXT as opposed to the goody two-shoes thing we have now. I know Daphne would have hated uh, the direction of, of Rhea, uh, you know, particularly as we saw a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what it was. It was like some children's charity, and they bring them out. And she had to speak off the top of her head, and she looked, you know, most of us knew and could feel her being so uncomfortable. That's just not her. She could have let Nikki just do the whole promo cutting with them standing up there, you know, sweating at the top of the ramp and talking about this charity. I forget if it was breast cancer or what, but um, anyway. Well, and, that, and that's kind of part and parcel. It fits very nicely into what we're talking about today because we're naturally talking about Ronda Singh, the Monster Ripper, and uh, again, here's somebody who, you know, was a badass presented as such, and then look what the WWF did with her, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So, for yourself, do you remember what your first introduction would have been to Ronda Singh, the Monster Ripper? I met her prior to spending a lot of time with her at the Stu Hart uh, thing in Calgary that I'll get to in a second. We met at some show. It was prior to her. It was when I was shooting both AAA and Paco Alonso's, you know, the Luteroth promotion, CMLL slash EMLL in Mexico City. So I met her down there as Monster Ripper. Obviously, your audience knows that she was Killer Heel in Japan, Killer Heel in Puerto Rico, um, you know, pretty much everywhere she went, which is why the Birth of Faith thing later on, as we'll get to, was disappointing it almost seemed like they were doing the dusty on her uh yes with the poke up, you know trying to uh sort of put her down for i'm not sure why because uh alundra blaze medusa at that point needed good solid foes you know and there's somebody else i've known since 87 medusa debbie michelli and uh you know i i she brought in specifically some some of the, the people that she'd worked before she quit and left All Japan Women in 1990. You know, she had that history with uh, Aja Khan and Bison Kimura and all that stuff, and uh, and uh, uh, you know, so many other ones. Uh, Aja. Yeah, the Paul Nakano feud was a big one too. I can't really remember. I was trying to look, but I couldn't find Medusa or Ronda against uh, Del Matsumoto. And for uh, Ronda, that would have been like a perfect, and maybe somebody can call in, or maybe you even know, uh, if uh, that had ever occurred. But I really spent a lot of time with her at Stu Hart's. I can remember the exact date because I was supposed to go in with Meltzer to Calgary, and he didn't go. He went directly to the event the next day, which was the UFC Ultimate Ultimate in Denver, that I... You know, went to, but I went two days early. Got to stay at the the Stu Hart's, doing Helen Hart's mansion. It's kind of a long story, but to make it brief, and I the guest room I had was nearly directly above the dungeon. But I had been friends with the Hart's since the '80s, and would always call Stu and Helen. I, I mean, I knew all of them. Smith, who passed away, the most recent to pass away. Brett, long history, but the guys I'm closest to are Bruce and Ross. But Stu and Helen, I would call every year on New Year's Day because that was their anniversary. That's when both Paul Bosch and allegedly uh, Lord Tally Ho James Blair introduced each <laughs> That's right. Uh, New York, and it was very close. So they hired me to be their event photographer. So December 15, 1995, and then I just flew. I met up with Meltzer the next day 
Stanford, my home, two home bases were Los Angeles for the Bell promotion where I shot ringside for the program, and Roy Shire, San Francisco, that whole you know territory, which also encompassed uh, Reno, and at times he did partnering with Ed Francis and Lord Blears in Honolulu for terrific shows, but those are my two home bases, and then the magazines started flying me everywhere, but that was the only territory uh, and my bucket list, I had a bucket list back then. It was to, like, shoot everybody. And it, whether it was a small name like Prince Poland, an African-American guy that few remember, but he was terrific for Bruiser's WWA, as well as uh, Bruiser uh, in Detroit. And he worked some Chicago shows for Bruiser and Ganya. But anyway, so Calgary, the territory stampede, totally on my bucket list because I shot in Winnipeg and Maple Leaf Gardens for uh, a heel heel Sheik versus Killer Kowalski in '74, out of this world, etc. And of course Montreal for uh, Vashon's Grand Prix versus Rougeau's International yes. La Lute. So I, I got to spend a lot of time. So it was billed as Stampede's 45th anniversary. We kind of thought that was a work that maybe Stampede wasn't quite that old, but who knows? I, I don't, and I would give the hearts the benefit of the doubt because I love Stu and Ellen. Uh, but you know, privately, it was Stu's 80th birthday, and yes. so that was the main thing. I got to shoot. The show was for the public at his beloved Corral Stampede venue, but the private family party, and all the boys were there from uh, the old original uh Dan Crawford to the All Japan one, the one that you know most know. Uh, uh, that was Phil Lafon was he was renamed that in, in WWF, but uh, Dan Crawford, you know the Doug Furnace Dan Crawford tag team. So I got pictures of the original, and he was Stu's top babyface, Dan Crawford. Dan King Crow Crawford, who also worked a ton against Anoki and Sakaguchi, earliest days uh, or the second year of all of New Japan. But anyway, so I got to spend a ton of time, you know, with Ronda. So all the boys were there, Jericho, Lance Storm, the entire Hart family, uh, Bulldog. Uh, the only guys that didn't show, and Bruce Hart was mailing out, you know, advance money and plane ticket round trips were Abby and Dynamite Kid. They both cashed in their plane tickets and uh, kept the money, never returned it to poor Bruce Hart. And it would have been spectacular. I mean, everybody was anybody. Wes Thornton, former NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, uh, Archie, uh, Mongolian, Stomper, Goldie, everybody was there. I mean, and the Premier of Canada presented a bus to Stu to him in the middle of the ring. But the private after party was way more fun. You know, I have pictures of Natty as a little, you know, kid, and uh, and Harry Smith and, and Teddy and, and the uh, the other uh, Hart family last name was Annis, A-N-N-I-S, who passed away from that virus, brain virus eating, horrific uh, condition. But so Rhonda's there, and she was at the show. I forget who she worked with. She had to do her, so we are kind of bopping in and out. She had to do her birth of Faye on the show. Uh, it wasn't against Medusa. I forgot who she worked with, but she did great. Uh, Bruce got to put her over. I mean, you know, like Mike Shaw, Mockin Singh, who was Norman the Lunatic in WCW. Yeah. Bastion Booger in WWF and, and what was that other gimmick? Fryer Ferguson. He had a, a That's right, yeah. They were a cute couple. I posed some shots of them together, you know, both kind of overweight but still badasses. Rhonda and Mike uh, Shaw was one of the nicest guys in the world before we lost him. 
as was Rhonda. And Rhonda used to send me results before this 1995 thing, December 15, 1995, uh, wherever she was. And sometimes she would call, you know, so she was like a lot of people who were in and out of major promotions, like Sherry Martell, you know, when she left WWE, a lot of people don't know, she went down to AAA and was managing Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero. And uh, I got her, you know, shot her in Mexico City and Tijuana and other places managing them. And then some of Ron Scholar's uh, AAA shows in the U.S. He basically bought the rights to them. Anyway, Sherry was on those. Uh, Rhonda was on in L.A. Uh, later on one of Ron's last cards when he split. This is Ron Scholar who had those huge sellouts starting in 1992 with AAA from Mexico at the Sports Arena in Los Angeles. And uh, I was already working for him, and then he fired his PR guy for getting Jake Roberts, who was supposed to be in a main event against Conan at a, a Berkeley, one and only Berkeley house show. There was the prices were way too high, so it only did like a third of the venue, the crowd. It could have been sold out if the ticket prices were lower. But this guy, who was Ron's PR guy for the AAA show, all I mean, Eddie and Art were on this. Santo Jr. All. Mascarita Sagrada, all the big stars, Los Payasos, uh, and Cien Carras, all that stuff. So he gets Jake there, like, at the very end of the match that he was supposed to be in the main event with Conan on that had to be changed. And, and, and the fans are piling out of the building. The main event is already over, and that's when Jake arrived. So I was hired to take over his PR from then on out. But uh, Ronda was on a card Ron Scholar did. He broke ties with AAA after the When Worlds Collide 1994 pay-per-view uh, because he was stuck to get in demand and get on in demand's pay-per-view schedule. He had to partner with Bischoff and WCW, which he didn't want to do. So his relationship, he, he switched to the other older, much older promotion. It's now like 90 years old in Mexico City, world's oldest that Ronda worked for, as well as UWA, obviously. Uh, I don't recall her working for AAA. She uh, was just those, the Paco Alonso Lutera family promotion, and then prior to that, UWA, which was the one that had the most foreigners in there, like Jericho, Vader, uh, Owen Hart, uh, quite a few Americans and some European guys, uh, too. So, anyway, so Rhonda's at the party, the after party. She, she wrestles, I post her with a ton of people. That She knew her history. Rhonda really knew her history, male and female, she could talk endlessly about Mildred Burke and June Byers, who are arguably the two atop the women's Mount Rushmore. If you're going to talk about athletes, hooker shooters, and plus all the shit they went through with uh, Billy Wolf, who was married to both of them. And when he, uh, like was with Mildred Burke, he would cheat right in front of her with June yeah. Byers. And, you know, really horrific guy, which is where a lot of folks like Sue Green and Tony Rose, who I hope to bring to the show soon, uh, that's where they think Moolah got it because she was so scarred emotionally, physically, monetarily by this guy who screwed all of those women. He promoted women's wrestling. He had the lock in the U.S. Uh, he did a couple of Japan tours towards the end, but he promoted women's wrestling, had all of them in the 30s and 50s. Moolah would later take over. You know, she started out valeting for first buddy rogers as slave girl mula and then she valeted for a guy who would become the friar tormenta the, the guy that wrestled just to raise money for an orphanage in his church uh but back then in the the 40s and 50s it's called elephant boy doing a weirdo strange gimmick 
started, and then she became part of Billy Wolf's troupe. And later on, though, when she took over and, and ran the women's wrestling in the U.S., and, you know, there were there at least were some indie women that uh, uh, were not part of that, like Vivian Vashon, who was one of the most spectacular ones, Betty Nikolai, who had uh, two shoots, two matches, so we're supposed to be pro work. <laughs>
you know, even get a come to California. After he got fired from Ring of Honor, he shows up at my house knocking on the door up near Oakland, California. I forget what year that was. This was quite a few years after. It might have been around 19... It might have been like 2000, 2004, somewhere in there. He just showed up at my house asking to stay over, and I, my wife was in there. I go, absolutely not. Don't yeah. Get out of <laughs> so anyway, I know Rhonda would have a lot to say about that. It's very opinionated. So it's Stu Hart's thing. We're going back to that. She had way more beers than she should have ever had and mixed it with some wine and stuff, and I think did some shots, jello shots. Again, December 15, 1995. Yeah. And, and blue chunks. So we were talking with Brian Pillman, seated next to Stu and on the other side of Stu was Terry Funk and Rhonda just let go and heaved (laughs) she got it all over their shoes and and part of Stu's pants and stuff and then felt terrible and she came back out with towels and wet wash rags and Kleenex and stuff and was like cleaning off the floor he didn't care because they were kind of all blitzed everybody was having beers Dory and Terry had worked the tag with Bruce Hart and Pillman to rekindle, you know, the feud they had before Pelman ever went to WCW and whatever year that was, 90, 1990, I think that's, so, uh, you know, Vlada never lived that down because they, they gave her some shit afterwards, but uh, she was uh, like, when I've talked about Daphne, and there must be a lot of other kind-hearted people, but she reminded me of Bobby Eaton, who we lost just a couple months yes. ago. Would bring extra stuff, extra bottled water, uh, unopened bags of you know store-bought nuts and fruit, you know, little things like that. She had extra sewing kits, and she always had them with her. So she'd ask if anybody would need them in the dressing rooms I was with uh, her in, and uh, just exhibited a lot of uh, kindness. And uh, this from somebody who you know was one of those killer heels, or you know her name was Monster, and. Uh, which was fitting because she liked all things horror, too. This would be her time of year, Halloween. I think, I, I think Halloween is unlike Thanksgiving. You guys already celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving, but ours is coming up. It's always like around the 23rd of November, whereas Canada's, I think, who determines when Canadian Thanksgiving is going to happen? It's usually the second week of October, just whatever that Sunday, Sunday-Monday combination is.
One of a thousand Terry Funk retirements. <laughs>
Dusty came in, and uh, and uh, didn't they? It was prior to that. Ted DiBiase's sect was Virgil. Now that was obviously Dusty Rhodes. That was enough, yeah. Virgil Riley Runnels. So that was prior to Dusty obviously coming in. But you know, Dusty, uh, a la Sapphire, a la Bertha, or Ronda rather, all you know. Never see a boo boo face on them. They never acted like they were unhappy. They just went with the shitty gimmick. And uh, uh, in this case, I, I actually all three with polka dots. I don't know if there's a negatory, you know, polka dots. But they, they don't make you slimming. And these were all, you know, chunky or uh, what's the wording uh, that they call now? Uh, well, like bigger or thicker people, I guess, is maybe, I don't know what what's politically correct nowadays. Karachi Vice episode a couple of episodes ago because I, I had uh, Trent Zaberry on who works with AAW Pro out of Chicago and we got into a big uh, whatever we got into it about how Gama Singh was presented in Impact and just what a what a travesty that whole thing was. Because 
you put me on with him. I know his history inside and out. I could probably reel off all the matches he had in L.A., like against guys like Raul and Carlos Mata, Reno to Ufuli, who's related to the Anawahe family. He didn't stay in it long that long, but you know, he's related to Peter Maivia and often Seek and all of that stuff. If you guys can find a... Uh, I, just, I you know, when he was with Impact, I was bugging Ross there, the PR guy, and, uh, you know, like, like, why, he's not doing anything, why wouldn't you let me interview him on my own show or somebody else's show and put this guy over the way he should be put over from a history standpoint, you know, 70s, 80s, and, uh, yeah, that, that supremely bothered me, but he had a hand in helping uh, Rhonda. I mean, Rhonda knew all of those guys. She knew Tommy Bellington, Dynamite Kid, Davy Boy, and uh, John Foley, who was a heel manager for Stampede. And she loved it, and whenever she could, you know, she would, like, come back home. Sometimes she'd just be in the back in the dressing room on, you know, the various incarnations. Once Vince bought out Stampede, you know, they came back uh, and, and tried promoting again with the more new guys, like uh, they had a long series for a couple of months with Sabu against uh, the late Tiger Khan, and uh, you know th that was called Stampede Wrestling or Hard Brothers Wrestling, and uh, you know so. But anyway, before her death, Rhonda would often, you know, whenever she was back home, if they didn't have a female to put her against, she'd just hang in the back at some of Stu's shows. She said, and she would tell me what was going on, and it was back there. And uh, I just thought the world of her, and uh, you know, you didn't see this coming. Like some, like uh, Sherry and Luna Vachon, because of the long-term drug use and stuff. I still have saved 3 a.m., 2 a.m. voice messages from from both of them, Luna, Jeez. Angel, and Sherry Martell, who I'd known forever, and they were like the nicest people on the planet. But you know, sometimes they'd be blitzed, and they call and and. You know, they were all over the map like I am on this radio show today. <laughs> I, I'm not slurring my words or anything like that, but I, I never saw it coming with Rhonda. You know, I knew she was heavy set and stuff, but uh, it's like, you know, it's like the nice ones go. People I knew, like Eddie Gilbert from like 1968, 69 on, uh, Pillman, who was, I was close with, and I participated in pretty much all not always did they buy my shots, not always did I get credit, you know, like the uh, FMW, there were some of my images there, but I wasn't listed in the uh, the credits, which that means more to me, because they don't pay you that much for Dark Side, you know, it's more a labor of love, but since season one, you know, particularly, thank goodness, some of them, like the Luna Vachon and Chris Candy ones, I was credited as not just for photos and imagery supplied, yes. still images, but also um, research you know, uh, an aid on the documentary itself because I had so many stories on the road with uh, Luna, who was also close to Rhonda. I can't recall if they ever worked against each other. You might have uh, Rhonda's uh, matchography in front of you or something. I just don't uh, right now. But, uh, you know, she did have some amazing battles with Cynthia and Esther Moreno in different places, uh, Mexico and Japan. Uh, I'm trying to think who she uh, was mainly shooting with in Puerto Rico. What, you know, well, a lot was Wendy mom. Richter in, in Puerto Rico as well. But yeah, she had some crazy matches there. She had matches.
just with uh, Rock and Robin Smith. I forget where those were, but there quite a few. And uh, you know she would be, uh, perhaps, at, at, she stayed alive, she would be an agent working somewhere. I mean, she'd be so happy with, uh, you know, for example, it really uh, felt great in my heart when uh, Mickey James had all of the women on that All Women's Impact yes. show, the most recent knockouts, knockout or whatever it was called. They all wore black, deaf, armbands. And I, I know Rhonda would have loved that. Rhonda probably would be coaching people, doing something in AEW now. You know she would have gravitated to where uh, people could be themselves. They're not held back. They don't have to read uh, and memorize promos or read them off teleprompters like in WWE. You know, that that's why AEW is like as many of us have described it, ECW on steroids and with money. It's <laughs> a pretty apt description. It is there, and I know she would have loved what I'm calling the, uh, the whatever, uh, most potato-y or most uh, hard-fought uh, New Japan strong-style match on American soil, at least not in Canada, because there might be tougher matches, but the thing with... Uh, uh, last week with uh, Brian or yeah, Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson, and, and Suzuki, yeah. And I, I've shot Suzuki in Japan as well as on New Japan cards in the U.S., like New York, Dallas, San Francisco, L.A. Uh, against guys like Ishii and other tough mofos. But that match last year—not just match of the year so far, but I think it's the stiffest match I've seen on American soil. I'm not saying Canadian, I'm just saying U.S. soil. I'm not saying Puerto Rico, because it's not quite a state yet, it should be. But that match was just out of this world, and I know Rhonda would have loved that, and I know Daphne would have loved that. Just, it just was, I've watched it a couple of times, it doesn't get old. <laughs> the first elbow from uh, Suzuki on the, uh, Brian Danielson that knocked him down or that he sold for, man, that was stiff as shit. That was, I don't know. I don't know. What did you think of that match? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, It was my cup of tea. I'm going to say that. Because I, I don't like a whole lot of the flip-flop whatever. It's not my thing. So I like a nice a nice uh, stiff match, and that was good. Yeah, I think Bully, I got an email from Bully saying something like uh, tight, stiff, and, uh, you know, uh, just not to no, no light. Like yeah, no, shot. yeah, no lights, no, you can't see through nothing. Well, A, depending on the city, but there's quite a few cities that really respect their wrestling history. You cannot do a Vince McMahon whitewash of history in Toronto or Montreal or Winnipeg. I think parts of Saskatchewan and Calgary because you have fans that know their history and they know when they're being lied to or bullshitted to. And U.S., you know, I think there's a lot more long-term fans in Canada, you know, dating back to 70s. And so they might be more comfortable with WWF product or more tolerant of the the weirdness, the bullshit, the, you know, grabbing of signs or telling people they have to leave or take their shirt off if the shirt says. There was somebody that at NXT like a week ago that had Tony K on a sign in the front row. There was very few signs on that NXT. And they were making a, a sign reference to Tony Khan, you know, wrestling war it's on with Tony K. I forget what the sign exactly said, but I was so surprised. I, they, 
they don't have that mentality or Vince isn't all over uh, NXT the way he is with the other two programs because they can be even house shows not just TV but tele- uh, non-televised house shows where they grab the signs or if you're wearing a New Japan or an AEW uh, shirt or you know back in the day ECW shirts they get confiscated and all of that sort of stuff uh, so I, I think maybe you guys are more polite more tolerant <laughs> must be it yeah Because our borders, the, the issue with the borders right now, at least, so. I think that's the biggest well, sticking point. But I'm talking about even prior to that. And, uh, oh, I don't know what they do on TSN. They don't, They never really release anything here. I mean, if, if you wanted to look hard, you could find it, but... Yeah, I, I, um, I have a live, a live AEW show. I don't know. No, I don't have any clue, but I would encourage Tony Khan and AEW to start having some shows... When it's possible, you know, it may not be possible because that's what we were hearing uh, with Cauliflower Alley three weeks ago. A lot of uh, Canadian people couldn't go. Greg Oliver finally found some way to go, but he kept telling me, no, no, I'm not going to be able to come and accept my award there because uh, whereas the U.S. allows anybody to come in, if I were to try to come back to Canada from the U.S., I'd have to quarantine for two weeks, two miserable weeks. And I know you guys are probably way closer to herd immunity in Canada, much smarter versus all the dumb shits down in the U.S. here refusing to get their shots, refusing to get their boosters. Hey, they haven't even gotten shot one and two yet. I already got that. Three days after the boosters became available, I wanted it, you know, that bad. Uh, and I know, uh, you know, anyway, that brings us back to Toronto. We got way off topic. Yeah. This was a on the same... I am going to send you some photos of her over the... I would very much appreciate that. Um, and, and it's good to... Uh, you know, all, all the Zillion shows... Uh, I, I, I don't mean to be bringing up Daphne in the context of Rhonda, but all the shows I've done on Daphne, you know, I say, as long as you keep talking about these people, they never die. If you keep talking about their careers, their accomplishments, what a fantastically incredible person Rhonda Singh was, then, you know... Because I think people sometimes forget some of those. Uh, you know, we're hit in the face, you know, with like 40 new NXT people, and we're supposed to be able to keep track of this, that, and the other. Uh, I don't know where Tegan, not Tegan Knox, but the other one uh, that was a heel that healed on her partner, the women's champion there. She's not listed for the main roster. I mean, just really, they butchered NXT. But uh, I know... Uh, Hopefully, people. I think these people have made a big impact, like Ronda or uh, Del Matsumoto or Bull Nakano, Aja Kong, or Crush Girls, obviously, Chegusa or Jumping Bomb Angels. It made this long lasting uh, impression. Now, I think more Canadians could talk about Mike Shaw, Makin Singh, and, and his other aliases and remember the U.S. fans, because again, you guys are so in tune with history, similar to Japanese fans. I would put Canadian fans just a little, perhaps a slight peg below Japanese fans who <laughs> don't go for bullshit or being lied to the way Canadians don't. And U.S. is at the way bottom of that list. <laughs> Led around very easily and have Vince try to tell us. That was the most insulting thing, like whenever the first 
Bianca Belair matches, they were they, they said that the first of the two, just a couple of weeks ago, like two and a half weeks ago, <laughs> was their first ever meeting. No, you remember that one where yeah. uh, was a year and a half ago, right before COVID, Bianca was really nervous to lock up and she was, you know, giving away too much and in awe of Charlotte. That match was like two years ago. Don't tell us these lies that, uh, you know, these guys have never faced before or, you know, the usual almost weekly lies they try feeding people. And people should call bullshit on that stuff. And people should remember Ron to sing in the, you know, with the upper tier, upper echelon of folks. I bet she would have, and she lived, and I bet she would have uh, even tried some MMA. And really, your boxing, you know, particularly now with that group doing the freak show boxing with, uh, you know, retired boxers or two, like a retired MMA guys and what have you. Uh, like I've heard Junior Dos Santos wants to box on that thing. So I know Ronda probably would have wanted to try that for a good payday. She might have even been on uh, Fox Network uh, uh, Celebrity Boxing, you know, stuff like that, because she's not a boxer by nature, but, you know, she could definitely protect herself. Yeah, that, that much is true for sure. Uh, just as we start to wrap up here, do you have any closing thoughts on Ronda before I let you go? I know we've gone long in the tooth on this one. Well... Um, we could probably talk more about Rhonda when uh, I bring Sue Green on soon because she had a lot of inside stories. Rhonda helped get her through depression. Rhonda was caring for other people, male and female wrestlers. She was kind of no-nonsense. Uh, she stood up for herself when she thought she was being shorted on paydays in Puerto Rico, for example. Uh, it happened once in Mexico and one time only, and she set those guys straight. And... Uh, you know, I have nothing but utmost respect, and uh, what a great friend she was, you know, putting the wrestling aside. She could talk about all kinds of other stuff. She loved comedy. She loved uh, various genres of music, rock music, uh, again, monster movies and stuff, and just really a cool person. We lost way, way, way too young. What, do you, I forget now, how old was she when she passed? She was 40. That's insane. Yeah, crazy. And she had like a whole lifetime in the biz. She really, I mean, she ate, slept, you know, she was one of those people, 24-hour, 24-7 on wrestling. That was her life, but she did have other interests, but, you know, wrestling was a predominant one. I Great person. I hope nobody forgets her, particularly those our friends and family in Canada. Do not forget Rhonda Singh, because she was one of the, the greatest and, you know, multicultural person who liked to, uh, I, I think she would have really shined in this era with uh, uh, you know uh, Indian Americans and Indian Canadians I mean uh, God I was such a mark for Tiger Jeet Singh the original whenever he'd take on Sheik <coughs> and she, you know she wanted to know more about him she wanted me to send pictures of Tiger Singh against all kinds of different opponents I sent her some shots of him against Ernie Ladd and against Bulldog Don Kent and <coughs> Igor and you know a bunch of other 70s legends she uh, was one of the greats and a really super person. So I hope she will be uh, continued in people's thoughts and stay there where she belongs. Now, before we head to the finish of tonight's program, I'm going to play some more classic wrestling audio. This comes via WCW, uh, late 90s, and uh, during Ronda Singh's run therein, which kind of illustrates something that Mike had brought up about uh, how Ronda would take care of people 
uh, by bringing in various other items uh, for uh, other wrestlers to use uh, throughout their matches. So, so please enjoy this classic wrestling audio, and on the other side, we're going to finish up tonight's program. What do you think? I think I'm going to wear these tights tonight. What do you think? The fishnet? Oh, the fishnet? That's great. I think they look nice. That's awesome. I think I'll wear it with this. I think we'll try this black and white one. This one really makes me look sexy. Oh, yeah. I, I like it. it. Yeah, it's definitely good. I'm going to wear the silver boots, I think, and let's uh, see. What do you think? Oh, that's silver. nice. You know what? I think maybe you might look better with the fishnet stockings. They'll be better for you. And I think I'm going to go with these. Okay, I think I'll go with thanks. these black tights. They look great. Oh, we're going to look smashing tonight. Sure it's going to go over. I think it's going to be great. I like these. That'd be good. Good choice. Good. Oh, thanks. I think I'm almost done. I'm just going to put this thing of elastic in my hair and I'm ready to go. Oh, you? Yes, I do. You look really good. Oh, thanks. There you go. Thank you. Got a little more lipstick and I'm ready to go. <laughs> That's a good workout today. Good workout. That's good. I feel good. I'm strong. I'm tough. All right, before we finish up for tonight, just wanted to once again thank my wonderful guests that I had on the program today, wrestling dentist Dr. Mike Leno, as well as Javier Oist. Uh, honestly, it was a tremendous conversation with both of them. I really think that uh, they unearthed some things that need to be heard by uh, by wrestling fans, not just Canadian professional wrestling fans, but people who have kind of a misguided or misconstrued or very skewed view of Rhonda Singh, so I hope that we were able to change some people's minds, open some eyes, and uh, and kind of change the narrative regarding Rhonda Singh, so I hope that everybody really enjoyed the program. I hope that you will go to your way to like, subscribe, and share the program. Most important of all is to share the program with your friends and family. So while you're on your phone right now, you're probably going through Facebook, you're probably going through Twitter, uh, maybe you're using some other sort of uh, social media device, if you will. Uh, go ahead and let somebody know that you listen to Grappling with Canada, that you learned a little bit in this program today. Or, conversely, maybe you learned a lot in this program today. Either way, I hope that you share the program. I hope you pass it along because it's really helping us spread the word about uh, about what we're trying to do here at Grappling with Canada. Wanted to make mention as well before I get out of here, uh, you can find links to support the show in the link tree uh, link. <laughs> I just said link three times in a row, but that's kind of fun. Uh, in the show notes for the episode, so I hope that everybody will take advantage of that. Uh, your support would mean the mean would mean listen to me talk the world to me in bringing you further programming. Uh, I have a an incredible amount of ideas for season two, including some tremendous deep dives that uh, we're going to be uncovering some information that is going to shock some people, I think, in season two. Not that we haven't done it in season one, but I'm really, really looking forward to that, and it would really mean the world to me to have your guys' support on that. So, once again, use the links in the link tree to help support the show and support myself as well. I wanted to make mention of another five-star review that we had just received in regards to the podcast. This one comes from BC Hunter on Podchaser, and he leaves a five-star review. He says, Andy's one of the best wrestling historians that Canada has to offer. All episodes are must-listen for any Canadian wrestling fan or wrestling fan in general. Uh, BC, I really appreciate that. And as everybody else knows, if you leave a five-star review, I do read them out on the next available episode. So go ahead, whatever podcasting platform that you're using, if you have the option of leaving a five-star rating and review, 
just know that those reviews will be read live on the air at the next available episode. I want to make mention as well, you can pick up a shirt to support the show, grapplingwithcanada.threadless.com. There's a bunch of designs up there. And the classic uh, Grappling with Canada logo shirt, uh, all proceeds of that will be going to support the local uh, children's hospital charity here in friendly Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. You can contact me at any time on Twitter at 6 underscore podcast. You can reach me via mail, 6 side pod at gmail.com uh please note that i respond to everybody and i do read everything including you know anything on twitter anything like that so uh please feel free to reach out to me Uh, i'm going to be an upcoming guest on a couple of programs so please keep it locked to at six underscore podcast for everything going on with that and also wanted to make mention if you haven't heard it i suggest that you check out the sunday night army I was on Jacob's show the other month. I was live, uncensored, and uncut, if you will. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. So once again, I want to thank Jacob for having me on that program. Please make sure, after you're done listening to this program, check out the Sunday Night Army on all major podcast platforms. So, for myself, the tax man, for my guests today, uh, Mike Leno and Javier Oist, to all of you... I won't leave you as I usually do because this program is going to be coming out in November. Remembrance Day is a big deal for myself and I hope it is for all of you as well. Uh, There were a lot of Canadians who sacrificed everything to give us the country that we live in today. And while it's not perfect uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, their sacrifices must be remembered. And that's something that I take uh, very much to heart Uh, every November, so I'm going to be playing at the last post at the end of this program because it's the least I can do to show my support for those who gave so much to this country. So, for all that being said, I will, however, leave you with the closing thoughts as I usually do. Please take care of yourselves and each other. Good night, everyone.
Uh-huh.